Warning. The following contains bright, flashing lights, and slash or imager that may cause discomfort, and slash or seizures for those with photosensitive epilepsy. Viewer discretion is advised. Bernardo, uh, a, a fellow child of Mexico, but it, just as I was also cast into the great expanse of the world, uh, your, your life your life path out of Mexico has been kind of uh, interesting. We'll get there. Um, where were you born specifically in Mexico, Bernardo? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Oh. Good to meet you in person too. This is this is the first time we meet, and we've just been yeah. talking for a bit yeah. about our uh, about yeah. your uh, amazing uh, story. Uh, <laughs> and we're talking about Richard, also the legend. Oh yeah, the Richard, my, uh, my manager. To, to those who don't know, is my manager. So R Richard is uh, somebody that's in the security field in the U.S. Uh, great guy. Uh, somebody I met at a uh, Byron Rogers event, uh, executive protection event. Right, uh, right. Great dude. Um, he's an awesome dude. Yeah. And he's like, hey. You are Ed. You're a weirdo, and you've been through some crazy shit. I have somebody that I know who's also been through some crazy shit. You guys probably could be friends. Um, so he asked me to like look into you, and mm. man, your stories. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's, a, it's a wild story. Uh, the fact that you yeah, know, I guess it is a wild story. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't stop. Like I often don't stop and and look at look back, but when I do, I'm like the fuck man i just keep going yeah <laughs> well there, there's 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 a there's a there's a case in point to to be made both for not looking back yeah yeah but every now and then you really have to take a knee and look back at your story yeah because uh, you, you also appreciate a little like you have to appreciate yourself you yeah. yeah and if you don't stop sometimes you don't value yourself enough yeah but on the other hand i don't like resting on my laurels yeah and a good friend of mine told me like you don't rest on your laurels i don't yeah, like just, whatever just, I did every day, I have to to you know do it better. Pay do the something rent again. Yeah. So you're. So you're, I was born in Mexico City. Sorry, Me I, I, Mexico City. Mexico. What part of Mexico City? Mexico City is a big place. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty big. I'm I'm from the south of Mexico City. Okay. From an area that's called um, it's called Colina del Sur. Okay. Or Colinas del Sur. Yeah. And um, it's really like nobody knows this place. And there's nothing there. Uh, it's like in in between an area it's called Santa Lucia, El Olivar del Conde. Yeah. And another area that's like Barranca del Muerto, Las Aguilas. Yeah, Las Aguilas. Yeah. So it's and like in between those areas in the it's a hill area, like mountains. Um, and I was born uh, in Mexico City. Um, my family, um, they're... Mexicans for many, many generations, but I feel like from my mother's side, they, they came from Spain at some point okay. to Mexico. Okay. Um, and then from my father's side, they're from Europe, Eastern Europe. So, okay. But also many generations back. So the culturally Jewish, yeah. Well, from my father's side. Yeah, from your father's side, that's the, that's the, uh, mm -hmm. that's your Jewish connection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What did he, what did your father do for a living? Um, like, what was the business? So, I know that my father was a, an engineer or is an engineer. Yeah. But I've seen my father two times in my life. Okay. And 
he hasn't looked at me. Okay. So I, I don't know much about just, him or his family. Yeah. So just, my parents weren't married. And then just a distant father, basically figure. I mean, as distant as can be, like as far as he's concerned, I guess I don't exist. So, you know, it's pretty distant. I'm sorry sorry about that, by the way. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, thanks. It's, it's, um, (laughs) but it's it's annoying, but I I don't miss him. Like I don't need him. It just pisses me off that there's someone close to me that can go to sleep at night and be like, Oh, I, you know, I don't know this guy. What, What about your mom though? Hey, what about her? Like, what, how, <laughs> how, how, what was she into in your life when you're growing up? Well, my mom is, um, she's a very hardworking person. Um, and um, I mean, I admire her commitment, you know, her relentlessness. She's just, uh, she just does whatever it needs, man. Whatever it takes. She's a, she's a, she's a soldier. She's all, a ter- all terrain. Yeah. All terrain. All terrain completely. She's a very emotional person. So she, she does that crying at the same time, but she does it. Yeah. And, um, and she did, I mean, she did a great job, I think. Um, Do you have any brothers or sisters or is it just you? I don't have any brothers and sisters. It's just you. Just me. So she, on her own, somewhere in Mexico City, yeah. figured out how to, how, to, how to bring you up, basically. Yeah, I mean, she had sometimes two, three jobs and... Um, what were you doing while she was working? Like, what were you into when you were a kid? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, when I was very young, I, I've only always been very active, you know, like always trying to get into sports or being outside or doing something. And so when I was younger, I was usually just playing around, trying to do soccer. I, I played football also in Mexico City, American football for a while. I did, you know, and, uh, soccer, um, did, whatever did you, I could. Did you get your first uh, TBIs uh, in that time? <laughs> Uh, no, but well, maybe I did. I don't remember actually. <laughs> that's exactly. That's how exactly how you know you did. You know, uh, you're right. Yeah. So you're you're basically a rough and tumble kid, basically when you're growing up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, playing in the street. Like uh-huh. I have some of my best friends are my neighbors yeah. in Mexico. Like it's just yeah. unbelievable. We've known each just other. S- set up a goal post on each side of the yeah. street. Yeah. Cool play it with off. the, the fruitsy. <laughs> oh yeah, fruitsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, tie the fruitsy on your bike. Yeah. You know, oh, to make yeah, it yeah. sound like a motorcycle. Definitely, dude. Definitely. All kids in Mexico <laughs> grew up with that shit. Uh, it's unbelievable. You, you. So you, you come up with the you. You come up in this condition where you're just your mom and she's working. Uh, I mean, people like that that come up in that in those conditions are usually have a lot of limes going on inside of their heads. As they as they make their ways of being a kid, you know, and we externalize some of that shit, you know. Yours yeah. was physical exertion and, and and physicality and just being a boy and running around and doing shit. Any trouble? Yeah. Any trouble at all growing up? Yeah, I mean, yes. The um, so you know the doctors would say, oh, it's hyperactivity, it's ADHD. <laughs> I don't believe that exists. I I think it's bullshit. But. Um, but certainly I was very like, you know, yeah, you were very and, hyperactive. Yeah, I was hyperactive, but you know, I get bored, right? So I would like I'm not a, I don't want to sit down and read a book. Like I want to throw a ball and play soccer and whatever. I just want to be a kid. Yeah, and if you let me do that, I'm going to be focused for 15 hours doing it. Anyway, so what that meant was that um I was very intense, I would say for fights. Other parents Fights. I did get in fights. I was cursing, right? And there's like, oh my god, no, don't hang out with him. Like a sailor. He's, he's like, too gross. What sailor. was your what was, what was your what was your what was your curse that got you in trouble? 
Hijos, ah, a ver, hijos de la verga. Something like... Uh, Ay, pinche culero. Or like... Dude, something... Yeah, yeah some, something yeah. benign, but you're, uh, some, a mother heard you and like, don't hang out <laughs> yeah, with that yeah. boy. Like, they would invite me to... <laughs> they would invite me to these things, right? And, and you know where it always happens? It always happens with like the rich friends, right? It's yeah. always like in the house of someone who's... Because they're inviting all the kids, right? So imagine the house they have. Yeah. And there were, I remember one time we were playing baseball. I fucking hate baseball. But anyways, we were playing hate baseball. And I don't know what happened now. I said something and I just see the parents like looking at the kid that was hosting like, oh, my God. Deborah. How did you bring this devil, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's, I guess, I just hope my son's not like that. <laughs> That's a curse. That's a curse. You usually make them, yeah. you know. You, you, you come up in this, uh, in this place, uh, your mom's working multiple jobs. Are you escaping in your mind? Like, what is your mental last? Like, when I was a kid and I had some of those, I had a shit ton of issues as well growing up, and I had parents who were absent. In my mind, I was always fantasizing and envisioning this. One day I'll grow up enough that I can just figure my way out, fucking yeah. run. Uh, were you I mean, thinking uh, about some of these things? I wasn't much of a like deep thinker back then. Everything was just immediate to me. And I, I you know what? I think I, I, I learned that probably from my mother because she denies everything. Yeah. Like she just like, there's a problem. She she ignores it. She doesn't acknowledge it. It's just not there. Yeah. And we keep going. I don't know how she does that, but, and she's very cor 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 uh, compartmentalized. Yes. Like everything is compartments. So I was like, you know, like the elephant in the room. We don't look at it, basically. So you, we just keep the, going. The superpower of dissociation. Yeah, and that's and, and you think yeah. you they think you think that's what she you learned from her. I think I learned from her at that time that because I, I mean, obviously I had questions growing up of things, and there's things that bothered me, but I was just really trying to have a good time all the time. Yeah, yeah. So you just. Like, yeah. I just want to have fun, and I care about right now, and that's it. You, you know, what does your teenage years look like, though? Like, you're... you're, you're just, oh, that was you're, bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, was, that's when it gets more problematic, because then you start getting... So you're, 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 you're growing up, you're, you're imagine you're a bit more... You're, if you're physical when you're a kid, usually it means you're capable when you're a young adult and or, or a teenager, right? Yeah, yeah, I think as a teenager... Um, what's 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 on your walls? What's what what what? what oh music? yeah, that's a great question. What's man. on your walls when you're a teenager? And, and I remember that perfectly. I'll tell you this right now. My it's still like that right now. Like every time I go, the room's still the same. You just haven't grown yeah, up. It's just the same thing. <laughs> you haven't changed. I had um, like someone brought me a carpet, small carpet like this of the Los Angeles Raiders. Okay. I, I used to like football. Yeah, 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 yeah. And instead of using it as a carpet, I put it in the wall because yeah. it's so nice. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's some that's some Eastern European shit. <laughs> Dude, so maybe that's what what's going on there. It's but possible. Yeah. I never thought about that. Um, I had um, uh, my my grandfather and my uncles had some like deer head that yeah. they hunted at some point. I just put it in my room. It looks cool as shit. Yeah, it's I, fucking dead it really animal looks on your cool wall. And yeah, it's, it, you know you can put a hat on there and everything. I had um, a poster from Hakim Olajuwon. He signed it to me in Martí, the Port of Martí. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I framed it and put it on the on the wall. Um, and then uh, I have one hanging like, uh, you know, the the el, el, the angel, like the um, 
Michael or, or, or Gabriel, the one that's guiding the children across the bridge. El Angel de la Guarda. Yeah. The so guardian the guardian angel. angel. So I have a picture of that. That's his like this like where, where, female angel. She's saving like two kids doing something. I don't yeah. know. I don't know where I got that from, but I have. Is that, that is that from your mom? I don't know how we got there. Yeah. Is your mom Catholic? Well, her family, yeah. 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 So that's probably where it came that's from. That's probably where it came okay, from. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a very. Um, but how very, that physically got into the room, I have no idea. That's it's a very just there. Yeah. That's a very Mexican mother thing. It's usually <laughs> something they do themselves. They will walk in there and they'll put it there for like. <laughs> Yeah, well, that uh, what, what, what little music? cars, vehicles. Um, what music is playing in the background when you're? So when I was young, uh, actually, my mother introduced me to music, and it was rock music, right? So it would be like a, a Queen or a ah, oh, the good shit. Yeah, stuff like that that she would used to listen to, right? Like she yeah. has like Super Tramp or you know some shit like that. I don't listen to that now, but it did open me up to. Um, you know, my first uh, cassettes that I bought because it was cassettes back then. Yeah, right? yeah. You put, a, you, you, yeah. you put a pencil in there and just spin it around yeah, so you don't yeah. fuck up your Walkman. <laughs> and my, my first cassettes were Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and uh, Michael Jackson. Ruined, completely ruined <laughs> off the bat. Great. Yeah, yeah. Great. And then I got Bon Jovi. And those were the things that I used to like at the beginning a lot. I still like it today. I went back to that. And then I had a time of punk rock when yeah. I was a teenager. It's, it's more like, you know, it's a little more destructive, I guess, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it, uh, you know, like what bands, like what type of punk bands did you listen to? Um, I had, I mean, I divide punk rock into, you know, the pop punk rock. Yeah, right? like Blink-182. Right, like that shit, Green which I Day. also liked. Green Day. Yeah. And then, you know, the heavy one, like the exploited, right? Like yeah. uh, things like that where it's like... Yeah. Damn, dude! Like this is fucking heavy metal, basically. Yeah. I hate cop cars. Hey, <laughs> mommy. Like Remember that? that? There was yeah, a, there yeah. was an exploited song that said, "I hate cop cars." Basically, that was this whole song. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, I do <laughs> hate <laughs> cop cars. <laughs> it definitely does something to a young mind. Oh yeah. As far as a drive, it's rough. Yeah, it's rough. A drive forward. Are you dressing the part as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is the teenagers, right? So I was. Um, I mean, I had a leather jacket, man, with Dude. spikes. I had that shit. Yeah. Would, I didn't have a mohawk, though. You, you would know somebody was legit if they had the jacket and yeah. it smelled like shit. That's how you know oh, yeah. it was legit punk well, rock, and too. that's why, you know, I, I mean, I like punk rock, but I wasn't a punk rocker because when I went to that concert I told you about, yeah. those were real punk rockers. I mean, these are, and they're homeless. Like, they're sleeping outside drunk. Yeah, these are these are from the Chopo. These exactly. are the Chopo punks. Like, I go to the Chopo as a tourist, right? So people, 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 if people yeah. don't know what a Chopo is, Chopo is like a punk rock open-air market in yeah. Mexico City. And you're, you, you're, amazing. you're going there when you're a kid. It's not, it's not a safe... It's not a safe environment. I'm sure it's not. Yeah, <laughs> but you're there because fuck it, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, and there's the 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 stands where they sell like the bootleg. Yeah, like like the perverted stuff, right? Like the underwear with oh, spikes yeah, yeah, and shit yeah, like yeah. that. And the, you're the like, kink, wow, the, what the hell is the this kink place? stuff? You're like, like yeah, you're young, and all of a sudden you see the strap on somewhere. Yeah, yeah it's, it's. But I would buy like all the spikes, like for the jacket, and I was playing guitar, so like the, the strap of the, the guitar, I would like put the things on it and. You know, um, shirts of like all these bands well, and shit. What, yeah. So when I was doing all that shit, I was rebelling against something. You know, right? In my end, you know, uh, both of my parents kind of basically went off and did into their into their worlds after a family tragedy happened on land, and my brother passed away when I was young, and that basically mm. made made them just sorry come, to hear. It, they it it you know again it made me who I am. <laughs> 
so I've been kind of realizing some of these issues uh, for now. But when I was uh, when I was in that process of trying to figure things out for myself, when I would go into punk rock or when I would listen to music and that, it, the anger was all about escape. Hmm. You know, I wanted to fucking figure out my way out. Yeah. Right. When I say my way out, I mean I didn't want to depend on anybody. I wanted to be the oh, most yeah. absolutely independent motherfucker you could ever find. Yeah, I can right? connect to that. Mm -hmm. um, were you trying to hustle? Were you trying to figure out money? Like, what, what was the situation in, in that regard? Uh, well, I I was low maintenance, I guess. Yeah. I, I I used to get uh, 10 pesos or something like that, which was enough to get me through, like, the metro and all of that to get to school. And sometimes I was enough to buy, like, a torta or something like that. Torta tamal. Yeah, and that's it, man. Like, that's all I needed. I With my friends... You do hustle sometimes because, for example, I went, my mother worked three jobs and she got me into a private school. I wasn't going to, a pri I was going to a private school. That's, so, not, that's not easy. Well, it's not easy for her. And um, I was, um, so I was exposed to people who had a lot of money because there yeah. were really rich people there. Yeah. And so it's easy to get them like, uh, hey, dude, you have five, five pesos. So then you use that to, to buy your torta, you know. <laughs> and uh, or like he doesn't want his food or something Dude, that's, like that. That's, right? that's it's Sears school. That's that's like uh, in a way, yeah. Yeah, and, and urban, you know, I was thinking survival. about it. I, I I slept on the streets sometimes, not because I had to, just because we were like just partying and like coming back, and we couldn't go to any house at five in the morning. So just, just put a jacket sleep on outside just... of the, the the school or whatever. And uh, so, so basically, hardship of that nature yeah. and that kind was like part of your. That's part. Was part. I of mean, your... I think it was a way of surviving. I, I am. Very independent. Yeah. Like I, obviously, you know, I'm sure uh, I don't want to be bragging them, but but compared to the majority of people, I think I'm extremely independent. The people I've met in my life, yeah, it must be from that period because, like you said, like I was trying to become my own man, yeah. Right? Uh -huh. Also because of the situation with my father and everything, I had a like I have father figures in my life. But it's just moments, you know, yeah. where like I saw someone say something, I was like, oh, okay, you know, it, it had an impact on me as a, as a male, but I didn't have any other impact. So I was trying to build my, my, my character. Did you think about that? Did you like, hey, I need no. to figure out somebody that I could basically emulate or? It was natural. It was natural. They would yeah. show up, you would take a knee, you would learn something from these men and they would leave. And yeah, I would just uh, like see it, right? Witness it. And then um, it stays with you. Like I, it, in my case, it stays as, as memories of small moments. Yeah, that just go with me forever. Like, well, like can you can you can you share one of those? Like uh, from when you were a kid? Uh, like, yeah, definitely. For uh, example, for, and and, and mm -hmm. the reason I ask is, yeah. there's a lot of men out there that yeah. will take time with some kid somewhere randomly and think it doesn't matter or think it's going to be forgotten. That's crazy. Dude, yeah, I've had some men when I was growing up. I remember this one guy who was a boxing teacher mm. who basically, he didn't go easy on me. Mm -hmm. And the lesson was that life wasn't going to go easy on me. And he was basically keeping me honest by being brutally honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great teachers out there. He's, uh, I don't know where he went, but he changed the shit for me. Wow. Like, so, like, uh, you know, taking a punch in the face was something... I didn't realize came with a lesson, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Can you, can, you, can you share one of those? Uh? Yeah, I'm trying to think of some. And, and by the way, today is um, 
I mean, it is a sad day in some ways because it's also uh, an anniversary of uh, my uncle passing away, and he was really like a father to me. I'm sorry about that. Um, what was his name? Uh, Daniel. Daniel. And um, and he was, I think, one of those figures. And, oh. you know, some of the things I remember from him was, for example, as a kid, uh, him swimming with me in the sea, taking me to the deep end, right? He would take you to the ocean and He just... would take me, like, deep, right? Where I'm like, wow, like, I can't be here unless I'm with him. And he's, like, showing me how to swim, how to get under waves, um, how to fish, right? Like, he'll, like he's just not scared of anything anywhere, right? Yeah. And he's just, like capable of of doing anything and like he would, to me he was like a hero he would allow you to do dangerous shit supervise yeah and you yeah. trusted him to be there for exactly, you exactly yeah ah, that's um that's everything he was a great um uh figure like that for me and no uh, he has his own family his own children he had uh but um still to me like those little moments were, were everything was what i hold on to yeah. as as that father figuring sometimes and my grandfather as well Uh, my grandfather, for example, one great moment was um, we were, I was living uh, somewhere else in Mexico at that time with my mom and he, I don't know what he was doing there with me. And we come to the door of the apartment building where I was living and my mother, she had a, a bochito, you know, like one of those like. Yeah, 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 but a BW bug. Yeah. And uh, we had that car for a long time. And anyway, so we're coming to the entrance of the house. I see someone inside of our car. That's trying to like Start it. open the because you know how those chains. So I have one of those chains that you lock there, <laughs> and he's trying to open this chain. I tell him, Grandpa, Grandpa, he's trying to steal our car. And my grandpa goes to this man. He's like, "Orale, cabrón, qué está haciendo la chingada?" And he comes up. This guy's younger than my grandfather. And my grandfather fucking throws a punch in his chest. Like he punches him in the chest. Like pushes him back like three three meters. And I'm like, wow a man you know and the guy's like no no senor no no so so you know he's an old man but he's a grandpa right? throw a cannon he's not a fighter this guy like my grandpa man i mean but his I, i love him to death and i respect him but now that i'm like an adult i'm like this guy like didn't know what the fuck he was doing he just threw a punch at his but chair. he was a man man like he did it like that yeah. you know and and he came to protect his his family and everything and violence of action and, when you uh, and you need that shit as, yeah. a, as a kid also yeah so So that's interesting. Uh, you know, some kids have that experience and mm -hmm. there's a man next to them and they don't do anything. Yeah. And that is also an experience for kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's like, oh, shit, I'm never safe is usually what those kids think. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. your, your grandfather basically throwing a cannonball at this dude's <laughs> chest, which is, it's funny. But it's, but it's also like that had to have happened. If he didn't do that. Yeah. You would have seen weakness and un and you would have been felt unsafe. Hey, nobody did anything. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know and that that shit will fuck up a kid. Yeah, yeah. So in a, in a way that that was a <laughs> that was a great reaction. Yeah. Um, you, punk rock. You have no plans. It seems at this point in your life. What what, what were your what were you aiming at? Like you're 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 a teenager. Nothing, man. Nothing. I, I, you were just on autopilot. Well, what I was doing on autopilot was I was trying to be someone. You know, I was trying to be, to have value in the society that I was in, which is in the school that I was in. Yeah. I was trying to be someone that was cool, right? And it's, it sounds cliche, but you know, you you go through great lengths to do that. Yep. So I identified the the the, you know, the the parties, the people that that were cool in my view, that people respected, that people kind of like. And you know, respect is 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 also difficult to understand because 
Some people feared them. So to me as a kid, that's like, oh, they respect him. Fear is not always respect the way you want it to be. Yeah. Right? But, you know, you only learn that later on. And, um, and so I associated myself with them because I thought that would elevate me. Yeah, fear. Because otherwise, who am I? You know, I'm not yeah. rich. I'm not like a, a, the prettiest kid. I'm, I, I'm not like the smartest kid. I didn't have anything, basically. Yeah. I was wearing, you know, shitty shoes. Everybody had their lines like Michael Jordan's, right? So um, I associated myself with some that were also like me. They weren't rich kids, but they were powerful. Yeah. And so um, um, I thought that was the way to go, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's so in, unnatural. I don't think there's anything really no. wrong with it. No, you're you're, you're, you're trying to be alpha in a way, right? You're trying to go like, you know, be it's, respected. It's, it's your introduction into tribalism. Yeah, you know, that's that what it is. Basically, you're, right. you're, you're a kid mm-hmm. and... You in the past, tribes would send their kids off to go a hunting party, or yeah, I don't know. And that's exactly what high school is in a lot of ways. You go off and you yep. figure out what your yep. tribe is, yep. and some of those tribes suck or yeah. or or matter, but only in that space. And once yeah. high school's over, you know that well, world's gone. This high school, man, this is a special place because <laughs> this is something I, we didn't discuss. But this is a French high school. Okay. So I was studying in French. There's a lot of like um, expat French people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them, like even from like Morocco, like we'd have like the ambassador of Morocco, Mexico, his kids studying it's in my class. There. Algeria, okay. things like that, right? French, obviously. Um, and uh, it was a great school. And there were some characters there of people that they're special, man. They're really special. And yeah. I'm not really in touch with a lot of them nowadays. Because we really went in different paths. Like at the <laughs> yeah. end of the day, <laughs> what, what what did most of them kind of go into? If you if you kind of think back on it, most so of them the were... ones that were like you know the the rich kids, the ones that were like a more um, family money. Yeah, so they went you know into like these jobs, you know high tech yeah. jobs, startup jobs. They're all posting like their pronouns and how to like you know talk well in in a corporate setting or like yeah. they're like directors of art of this thing or like. Director of Economy of IBM, I don't know, whatever, finance, you know, all of this stuff. Some of them are journalists and things like that. Um, and then the ones that were my friends, uh, well, these some of those guys were also my friends, but the ones that I was hanging out with, I guess the ones that I was associated with, uh, man, I mean. They didn't do that well? Uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like that. I mean, like so- there was one of my friends, I remember the last time I saw him, uh, it's like 2006 or something. I went, he was living in France. He went to study at a university in France. And what he did for a living was he was he was selling a kebab, right? And and the, one of these kebab places and like stealing bikes. That's what he did for a living in Europe. Sounds good. And that nowadays sounds... I see he's like trying to get into like, so he's kind of like providing services to, to uh, web design or something yeah. like that. But um, basically a bunch of shit shows. <laughs> So, in some, a way, a, a yeah. Lot, I mean, a, lot of, a lot of them basically seem... They're like, hippies, I think, in a way, because they're like, you know, they're all about like... Some of them really like rock climbing and... Well, I, I think if mm-hmm. you found, you gravitated towards them, they're all people that are seeking an, uh, a dopamine rush in a way, in shape or yeah, form when you yeah, were kids. Yeah, and true. a lot of them go... You know, you become a junkie when you're a kid, and I did some of that. I used yeah. to skateboard. I used to do graffiti, like mm-hmm. tag places. I yeah. had, had a band, got right. in a bunch of fights. Yeah. 
<laughs> and just wanted that hit, you know. So yeah. when people when people know, like, what did you do after that? Well, yeah. I went into to work for the government. I'm like, oh, that fucking makes sense because that's something a retard would do. <laughs> yeah. So well, <laughs> you 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 well for me, it, it's in Mexico. It's something a retarded person would do. Right. Yeah. That, that that's the thing, right? In a way, um, I've been trying to understand what the difference is, right? Because. Um, I think like the 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 essence of um, of uh, working as a soldier, as a cop, as a you know all of these jobs, has to be the same essence across the world. Yes, the conditions are different, the way you get there are different, but that's the thing. Like, how far off is it, for example, and and you know what takes you there, and and that's what also was weird for me coming to Israel because I, I was coming from Mexico, where like the last thing I thought was going into the military here. Yeah. And suddenly I'm going to the military there. So I'm like, it's it's kind of like a strange. It's it's a weird jump. But so it's very you, different. Yeah. So, so you aimless in Mexico, you find yourself in Europe. What are you what the fuck are you doing in Europe? What was what, what's well, up with your trip? Um, <laughs> so I was um uh, well, first of all, how I got there, right? So I was um finishing high school and I was in this French school. I actually didn't finish the French matriculation exam like i didn't finish my french high school i didn't get it okay i fucked it up completely because i don't know any math like i certainly like i cannot multiply it's 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 this is and now we say it's fine right but at the time i felt like i was really really you felt like you had like i'm very stupid yeah Yeah, you have like you were uh, (laughs) deformed or something i I just didn't like it you know i didn't like the teachers i didn't connect with them i didn't have the time to like put all that effort on that shit i was good in philosophy yeah i was great in philosophy I loved reading those books. How about history? Um, I did like history, but I hated just remembering all those dates. Yeah. Like that's not, to me, it's what happened, not the date. Like who cares if it was 1983 or 1982? Like fuck that. Yeah. It's what happened, right? What were the the motivations behind something? So I I do care about that. I didn't do so well in history and um, languages I was good at. Sports and that's pretty much it. But anyways, it sounds like you're a perfect went... candidate for something. <laughs> but so you you go to Europe. It, it was the part way of I got there was that I I first of all I I I used to go out with my friends in in Mexico, and I would come back home two weeks later. So I would like be like, hey mom, I'm I'm gonna stay with this guy, and then suddenly just two weeks later I'm like, oh yeah, I came back. So at one point I was like, well, why am I even coming back after two weeks? Let me just stay out. Right? Let's see if I could say how long. So I, I stayed out for months, man. I was like out with friends, just living in someone's house and another friend's house and just like living that bohemian Sur- life. Surfing. Bohemian. Couch surfing. Because yeah. I'm couch surfing, but I'm playing guitar. I'm going to parties. Like I'm just, you know, I was, I was living off uh, these people like a parasite in a way, um, which, you know, I'm ashamed of. But at uh, the time... I mean, I was just aimless. living the moment, right? Yeah, aimless. And then my mother got really pissed at me, and she she didn't talk to me anymore. So we were like, there was no relationship anymore for months. It's quiet. And then we started getting back, and she was like, she would like uh, invite me for breakfast, right? So we would have like breakfast at like you know Veeps or something like that. Veeps, yeah. <laughs> and. Um, uh, and eventually we started getting back into like a relationship and and then she came to me and she mentioned this uh, trip to go to Israel, which is true, like some program it's called Birthright. So if you have any connection to Judaism, you can apply for this trip. Wow. Uh, and th- this trip, 
she tells me, you're going to sign up for this and you're going to go for free to Israel, she tells me. You're just going to be there for 10 days. Why don't you do it, right? Yeah. Israel, 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 right? And I had been... I had gone to like these like Boy Scout groups like when I was younger, not not in high school, but like when I was like 12 years old, things like that, that were like Jewish groups where I learned a lot about Israel. And uh, and, she, and this was, you know, some of those guys were going to be there. And so she was like, you should do this. First, I thought she was being scammed. Like yeah. I told her, there's no way there's no a way free, trip, free trip to Israel. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Just like, deposit. If there's one thing I know is nothing's free. Just deposit $300 yeah. <laughs> here and then they'll all show but up. But it was, man. Like I, it really was like basically free. I, I, there was some sort of $300 deposit, but that's nothing for a 10-day trip. So um, so she said, okay, well, okay, I'll go on this. And then I was sitting with this guy who's like telling me, after that, you can stay six months in Israel. You can work and study Hebrew in a kibbutz. So I told him, I'm going to work and study. He said, no way. <laughs> Fuck, that you, you, Fuck you. I'm you not trying to that. sell me. You, you lost <laughs> Work me. and study. I, I, no. no. And she's like, no, no, don't worry. It's going to be fun. So, it's going to be this. It's going to be that. They convinced me. I was like, okay, I'll do that. But then, then I'm going to spend six months in Europe. And I'll come back to Mexico. So that's how I got to Israel. That's how I landed. You, you landed there in Israel. I landed in Israel. I didn't you, know. So you don't, you don't, you, are you, do you have the culture? The behemoth. Nothing, you have no. nothing. You're just basically a kid nothing. from Mexico. No, I came from Mexico with my guitar. I had like a mullet and yeah. like yeah. ridiculous clothes, like really ridiculous clothes. And I'm I was with a group of Mexicans and Colombians. We're doing a 10, 10 day trip all over Israel. Man, amazing. Like just, you know. What were you what were you seeing? Forcing like around. Like you see, because Israel is a very small place, but it has so much to see, right? So the north is like kind of like forest in a way and uh, very green. There's like lakes and um, a few mountains and things like that. There's even like mountains with, with snow also. I mean, it's not, you know, fucking Switzerland, but yeah. there's something. Yeah. Then like the center, you have like the beach. You have like a little bit of uh, hotter areas. Um, and then if you go south, it's, it's desert. And so you have the Dead Sea, the... the uh, the Judean desert, um, and um, what 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 are the people like to you there? Like, are are you getting asked so questions? Strange, I mean, so strange because, um, I mean, it's very very. I hate using this word, but it is very diverse. Um, and the reason is that you know everyone's kind of like you don't know like one's white, one's dark, one's blonde, one's uh, you know all of it, and they're all like. Semites in a way, they're all like Arabic looking in a way, uh, weird, exotic looking. The girls were like super hot, all of them. Like it was unbelievable. I'm like, what the hell? And uh, <laughs> it's a different culture, different like um, behaviors, everything. And we're just having fun, you know, like going from place to place, like, you know. Are you being treated like an outsider or do you, or are you being welcomed? You're there? being treated like a tourist, but... Um, I mean, we we were not like we didn't feel outsiders like what, we were welcome. What, what was the yeah. point of the uh, of the trip like for them? Were they showing you things? The organization that the organizers is, is trying to bring you closer to like understanding Judaism. what Israel is and and liking it in a way, because you know at the end of the day you you can't understand something until you You're there. see it face to face. Really, you can read all you want about it; it's just not going to make sense, right? Yeah. Um, Did anything in those ten days mm -hmm. like sticks out as like oh shit, this is this is the moment that I'm like, hmm, maybe 10 days is going to be longer than 10 days. 
I mean, I had a blast, uh, but there were signs of things that um, I guess I, I, it took me many years to understand. For example, one of the first things I noticed was it was beautiful. Like yeah. you, you have, I know also I, I went in the winter and it feels winter. It's not like Mexico City winter. You know? yeah. Like it felt winter really and, you know, beautiful parks. Everything was clean, um, you know, well, good food. Good places, good parties, everything. I was like, wow, this place is great. And Did everyone's you... like very like strong in their character. Like it's not like, you know, you don't see people that, are, that you're like, wow, they're like really weak. No, you see like people with purpose. Yeah. That's how it looked, right, at, at that time. People are also rude. Like when you first meet Israelis, they're, they're rude. The, for example, I was in a hotel and there was this, this older couple coming in and I grabbed the door, I hold it for them. And they just walk by. Yeah. They don't say thanks. Nothing, right? Like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Okay. On the other hand, like, I was in places where I would meet someone in a bus. It just starts talking to me. And they're like, hey, come over for dinner. Or or you need this, here it is. Like, people that have, like, a very strong um, shield. Yeah. But inside, they can be very warm, right? And that is true. I have to say, it is true. Obviously, not everybody's like that. But it's something that's, that's particular over there. Um, another thing was that it's a place where, yeah, you, you gotta be sharp all the time. It's kind of like Mexico in that sense, because like everyone in a way is trying to fuck you over yeah. with something. So every, for example, every, everybody's for themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I was, um, when I finished this 10 day trip, I went to Tel Aviv and I was like, all right, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to Tel Aviv and stay in this hostel. And in this hostel, apparently you can, you can work. Like they give you jobs that you can do. It doesn't cost a lot, and I'm in the beach, like, you know, people surfing, and you see all these, like, girls, Israeli girls running with their surfboards and everything, and Tel Aviv was, like, amazing at the time. It was, like, oh, unbelievable. So I'm going to this hostel, and I took a cab from where they dropped me off, and the cab has, like, this, the the, the taximeter, right? Yeah. But I, it looks different than what I was used to. Yeah. And we're driving, and I tell this guy, what is that thing? He's like, no, that's a radio. <laughs> and we get to play, he overcharges me like really Fuck bad, I, right? Yeah. And I'm a kid, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's, you know, I'm not going to fight a taxi driver at that time. At that and, time. Um, <laughs> you can find, we can find him. We'll yeah, find him. We'll we find should. him later. Um, I mean, I went there and then I was staying in this hostel. And yeah, they would have jobs like uh, cleaning like a nightclub. And they would give you like 300 shekels a day at that time. This is 2004. So. I mean, I don't know how much money that was then, but it was all right. Yeah. So I did that a couple of times. Met really weird people in that hostel. Like, there's <laughs> like this 50 year old British guy staying with us. Like, it was just weird. And like, you go to supermarket, see a guy with like foaming like shave cream on him all day long. Every time I saw him, he had shaving cream on him. Uh, just weird people. Weird characters. And um, and then I was going to this kibbutz. Yeah, that's so uh, I came to so the kibbutz. Can, can you explain what a kibbutz is to right. people so that have never... It's uh, a collective community, right? Yeah. And, and it's based off, in the 60s, uh, in Israel, they developed this, or, you know, I guess from the 40s, even before, but it was based around agriculture, and it's kind of like a socialist commune. Yeah, it's a commune. It's a, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a collective commune type thing, and yeah. farming is at the core of it. So I went to the best one of them. It's called Magan Michael. And it's by the beach. Beautiful place, man. It's amazing. They have their own beach. They have a, like a cafeteria where you eat. And you can see the beach. And you walk to the beach barefoot. And, like, it's just everything's clean, beautiful, plants, trees everywhere. 
everyone's like nice, you know. Um, and so that's where I fell. And I was like, wow, this place is amazing. And and then what I was going to do there is I was going to be in this like studying Hebrew. They have like a program where you study five, four hours a day, and then you work somewhere in the kibbutz another four hours a day with all the industries they have there, which they have. They have a factory that makes like uh, toilets for like all over the world. They sell them. And they have a semiconductor factory. They have agriculture. They had at the time agriculture, like bananas, uh, the, the pitayas, you know, the Colombian one with the, sp the spikes, avocados. They had everything. And so I was working the bananas at the time, which was also a great experience, right? Because I'm like an a farmer, basically. Well, not a yeah. farmer. I'm an yeah. agricultural work worker Yeah. Uh, for a few hours a day. Yeah, your your fruit picker, your Mexican fruit yeah, picker. Yeah, <laughs> you went and, to you went really far though. Most of us just crossed the border here, just yeah, pick it right true, here in true. California. You went all the way over I there. I mean, that's what's weird, right, about my life. Maybe maybe over there. Yeah, maybe they were fucking with you a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> the majority of fruit fruit pickers over there are from Thailand. Oh, okay. Yeah. But they said oh, we have Mexican here. <laughs> that's the, I don't want to put it. <laughs> we heard about you guys. Come on, <laughs> prove yourself. <laughs> yeah, just put this hoodie on and this hat. I had a lot of pressure, man. Only I, I, I did all right though. I did all right. You you. Is this where you start falling in love with the country? I think so, yeah. I think so because, uh, I mean, I just, it was beautiful there, man. It's just a, a great life, like, are you, are you healthy, you, nice. Are you getting a sense or a feeling of, oh, this is what it's about. This is, this is, this is, this is what I. Yeah, at the time. Yeah. I the, really, the, for many years, did see myself as like, this was the kind of place that I wanted to be on. Yeah, this is, this is. Yeah. This is where I need to be right now. And also, this is, this makes sense to fight for this, maybe? Yeah, I think uh, this is something I hadn't thought of, but I, I am assuming that it started to, to become It started that, to, be, yeah. to, to turn into something. Yeah. I mean, you, you're describing to me like a paradise. Of a it was amazing, man. Like, you yeah. know, you imagine, I'm in a group of 90 people from all over the world. Yeah. That that includes females from all over the world. I mean, uh, in a, they had their own bar in the, in the club. It was great. And beer is cheap. And good music, right? And everyone's friendly. And you go to the beach, you can just swim wherever you want. Everything's clean. Uh, they have like animals, plants, trees, good food. When, when you say I'm walking around barefoot with shorts all day long, like when, when you say everything's clean and you're walking around barefoot, I don't think people from the U.S. understand what that means. Yeah. If you're from Mexico, walking barefoot on the beach might sometimes <laughs> lead you into stepping on a needle or a glass yeah, yeah. in some places. Yeah, definitely. And in so, the cities and some parts are dirty as far as like you wouldn't lay your bag down on the grounds of oh, places yeah, yeah. because and, and exactly and, and, and now you find yourself in a place where it's not, none of that is there. You're like, no, holy fuck, nothing, man. I mean, and and you know, people uh, drive around in little golf carts there, and that's always a good sign. Yeah, a friend of mine told me if you if you see a place there's white people driving around golf carts, that's where you need to buy a house. Yeah, you need to figure that out. <laughs> um, so you start falling in love with this place. And yeah. is the concept of going back home just shrinking uh, as you go through this process? Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, where does the military come into this? And so so um, I think, I mean, on the one hand, I've, I've always been blessed to, I've never been scared of change. Yeah, yeah. You, like I jump into them. Like, yeah. all right, let's do it. Yeah. Right? You're not ready, um, but fuck it. We'll but on it. the other hand, I, I didn't just like say, yeah, I'm going to the military. Like I, I had a moment of thought and I was discussing with you. My first thing was I met people who are in the military. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Who, like people who, go to the military. Like, who, who, how would you meet them? Were they just around? So walking around. What town? I realized was that there was like kind of like a, like a loop 
kind of like a progress to being in that program of the studying and, and working, many of those kids would stay in the kibbutz, keep working, and eventually they would go to the army, they would keep li living in the kibbutz. So that was to me like, hey, that's progress. Like I can basically upgrade to that. Okay. Right? So you saw, yeah. Okay. And I started to meet a lot of them from all over the world, like British guys, other Mexican people, a few of them. Yeah. Um, uh, Colombians, a bunch of Colombians, uh, Argentinians. There's so many Argentinians in Israel, um, you know, from all over the world. And also Israelis themselves. I started to meet them. And I, it felt to me, again, that they were revered because they were soldiers, right? And it yeah. felt to me, again, like, hey, this is cool. And these are people who are respected. And, you know, hey, it's an upgrade for me, right? Is, so I should, I should do that. I should bring some value to myself now. Is that the sense of, of the military there? I mean, there is like for the for the people there locally, is that like a hey, that like a, that that's an important member of the community, the, the soldier? Uh, I think it is in a way, it is, um, but maybe not as much as I thought back then. And okay. it really depends to who, right? Yeah, yeah. And you see, like nowadays, everywhere, right? Like look at the U.S. I mean, there's people who Americans who hate their own soldiers. Yeah, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah, and you have Israelis who hate their own soldiers too. So, so I just at the moment I didn't know that. Yeah, but and because back, I was in that kibbutz, in the kibbutz, definitely it was it's, revered. It's, it's, right? it's, yeah. it's like a, it's isolated. It's yeah. an insulated space, basically. Yeah, yeah. So, like, so then uh, there was that guy that I told you about. Um, this guy Maori, who just sent me a message actually like a, a day ago, but he took me to meet one of his friends. Where's Maori from? Uh, he's also from Mexico. It's a Mauricio. Yeah, yeah Mauricio. It's a, it's a Mexi you've random Mexican out there yeah. you meet who's an IDF yeah. guy? Yeah, well, I knew him from Mexico, but he was living in Israel at that time. Some One of the few people. Yeah. yeah. No, he didn't go to the IDF. No. But he he his roommate was in the IDF, and he was like this American guy. I don't remember his name at all. But anyway, so I was like one day with him. He's like, hey, this is my roommate. He's in the in the army. I'm like, oh, cool. He's like, he tells his friend, hey, tell him about, you know, what you do there. And so he tells me, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in the infantry, I'm in this unit, and I have like this, you know, if you go in, you get like this machine gun called the Negev, and you get night vision, and you have a laser, um, and then you just point your laser, and that's where it shoots. And I'm like, fuck, that's fucking awesome, man. Stormtrooper shit. And I was like, and that's where like started to click, like I, I might have to do this shit, right? Yeah. Like but then, uh, I mean, I'm not that stupid, right? I'm just going to go in because I like machine guns. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm I'm signing off to die, basically, if I have to. Do you have a concept of conflict in the area while you're trying to figure that out? I mean, you? I know it's dangerous. I know there's, like, wars and things, but... Do you see any they of it? They seem happy. Do you see any of it while you're there? Like, no... Not you, at that time. I didn't uh, really It was, see it was really calm. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would see soldiers yeah. and, you know, you see, like, you get impressed, right? But... Uh, uh, I didn't really have a concept of, of violence back then to that extent. But I, I, I considered that, that. That's when I started considering, hey, maybe I should go to the army. Yeah. Like, you know, it's going to make me something, right? It's going to turn me into a badass. It's going to make me this, it's going to make me that. Things that I need. I, I identified as something I needed because, again, I, I felt like I had no direction. And this was probably a school for me to build my own character, right? To become a man. Yeah. That's how I saw it. Yeah. But I said, okay, that's great. But you need more. I think I was blessed to have a good mind in that sense because and I, I still believe the same way today. Like you, you can go and try to do all these things, but in the end, you're signing off to die for something. Yeah. And you need a, a bigger reason than yourself. Like it needs to be something bigger. So from my background and what I knew about Israel and, and I knew about the Jewish people and the Holocaust and all of that, I said, you know what? I'm doing my part to make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. Okay. So then... Um, that's how I rationalize it in my head. Nobody put that in your time. head. 
Nobody put that in your head. No. This is all your rationalization. From what well, it's my rationalization to thinking, hey, why would I sign up to be in a foreign army right now and put my life in danger just to be cool, right? Yeah. So and I was like thinking, hey, this is not normal. Like, come on, man. Like, you know better than that. <laughs> and then I started to th- to look for excuses and I found yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one. But yeah. That's a very good one. Also, you, I mean, you were in a place that is worth fighting for. Right. To me, it was worth fighting for. Yes, absolutely. You, what, what's, uh, what's, what's the process of getting in look like? So it's a pain in the butt. It's a, it's a place with so much bureaucracy, man, because at the end of the, of the day, the IDF is run by kids. They're all kids. You know, they're all 18-year-old kids. So the person who's recruiting you is an 18-year-old kid. They don't care. Like, they just want to go off and go home and whatever. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're not getting paid. So it's like, hey, you didn't work out. Come back tomorrow. Or yeah. like, I don't have the paper. You're going to have to come back. Whatever. You know, it's yeah. like they don't, they don't answer the phone. Like, they don't, they don't give two fucks. Ooh. Anyways, so um, it took a while. It took yeah. like six months. And then eventually I got in. They're like, yeah. all right, you're going in. I remember it was... Uh, what, no- what, it, so people that don't know, like, what is this like? It's like people might have images of American military boot camp where you get shaved and put yeah. on a bus and people scream at well, you. Yeah, you do get shaved. But uh, <laughs> you show up. My date was uh, November 7th, 2004. So I show up. 2004. This, yeah, 2004. That's yeah. where I started too. Oh that's yeah. A, that's cool. a, that's when I start too. So it was a, a good year. It's a, <laughs> a, a fucked up year. Uh, but sure. You, so you, you get there. What's the process like? You show up to this base and they make you go through like a list of things, right? So first you, they actually do cut your hair. Like they shave you your hair off. Mm, yeah. Like shit. that. Kind of like that full metal jacket moving. Great scene. <laughs> uh, and then they take a picture of you. They give you your card. They give you all sorts of shots. I have no fucking clue what they gave me. Oh, and uh, nothing will give you cancer. Trust me, it's fine. Of course you're, you're not. Okay. Yeah, it's all the CDC probably approved <laughs> it. And um, and then <laughs> and then um, uh, they give you documents that you sign, and they give you your uniform, which is like this disgusting rookie uniform that looks like shit but you're so proud of it you're like oh my boots wow yeah people get so excited about boots always at the beginning yeah and boots fucking suck man like what's the deal with these boots know. like man it's like they, yeah. they just complete the fit yeah you know that's true that's, all. that's true so you get your uniform then they put you on a bus going to whatever unit or base you're going to next it's a sign and you i was going to off. this base the, the the israeli army has this thing where one of the differences of the israeli army is that it's it's a it's an educational component of society. It's kind of like a melting pot of youth, and it, it spends a lot of money in education in the country. Yeah. For example, they have soldiers who are teachers for kids who, who don't have, I don't know, schools or don't have resources. They have uh, soldiers who, like, help people. And, like, they have all this, like, educational and social component of the IDF. And so one of those bases is for immigrants, like myself. And so in this base, they had programs where... They had a three-month program, sorry, where you would study Hebrew, or they had a three-week program that was quick, where you would study Hebrew and kind of like get an intro to like infantry. Okay. That's the one I got into somehow. I didn't really speak Hebrew well, but I, I, I think I, I was nice to the girl that was like uh, deciding that, and she put me on that. <laughs> there you go. I was lucky, yeah. And so I, I got to this like course, and it's my first day in this base. And I remember the first thing they told me on that bus, on, to, on the way to that base, the sergeant of the bus, he told us, hey, it doesn't matter where you go, what matters is the people you're with. 
He told me that the first fucking thing they told me, man. Yeah. And I was like, I guess he's right, but I want a, a, a red beret and a pin, right? Like, I, yeah. I, I do care about that shit at that time. Anyway, so um, my first day, the feeling is this. Imagine, like, I don't speak the language. Like, speak some words. I can talk to you like a monkey, but yeah. I don't speak the language. Yeah. And I'm just doing what other people do. They, I always make you, like... You know, put all the gear that they, the useless shit that they give you in this base, like put it out and make sure you have it and organize it nicely. And then they tell us, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what the hell they told us. And they sent us off and you have like one hour free a day to to call someone that you care about and and to take a shower. And so this is the first hour like that, my first day. I think they gave me like a card I could call home or something like that. They have one of those like pay phones yeah, with a card with the at card, the time. Yeah. And then I was going to take a shower and I come to the shower and there's a line, huge line. Shit. Everyone's naked like this. And I'm like, shit, right? This is November. And, and I hear someone saying like, there's only cold water. I'm like, damn. <laughs> like, fuck, this is what I thought the army was going to be like. Yeah. Like everyday cold water, right? And I go, and I take a cold shower, right? With everybody in November. I did it. And I was like, damn, man, that was rough. Like, I don't know if I can really pull this off. <laughs> and it turns out like, it's not like that. It was just. That yeah. day they didn't have hot water. <laughs> yeah, Fuck. but um, so I did that, and then I was there three weeks. It wasn't too hard, but I, I came very motivated, so I was doing well. You know, I was a good soldier, and then I, because I was an only child, you get to, I mean, it's harder to go into combat. Yeah, they, they tell you no, no, you need to have like a brother. Only childs don't go to combat. You need a, a permit from your parents. And I got my mom to sign. By the way, she didn't really want to sign at the beginning, but she did it. But that's in Spanish, right? So now I have to get it translated. I have to get it notarized. Yep. I have to send it to them. And they still didn't accept it because this bureaucracy, like they don't fucking care. Yeah. But because I was good, the commander I had, she's like, no, come with me. And we went, after two weeks, we went back to the first base, the the depot, like where they, they recruit you. And she took me to like some office of some general there. No, like a major, some major. And uh, he tells me, okay, okay. He, she was like very nice to him. And... Um, he tells me, all right, what do you want? And I told him, I want Nahal or Magav, which is, Nahal was like one of the infantry units, which is the ones that most of the guys I knew were from there. And then Magav was the border police. Yeah. Which, uh, it's not the IDF, but it has like a contract where you can do your military service in the, the border police. Yep. Right? It's kind of like a militarized police. And somehow, by coincidence, that, those are the two places I ended up serving in. Through wow. my career. So wow. Yeah. But he was like, But you already had but a when, mate, I you, you Mag, already... when I told him Nahal and Magav, he's like, Magav? Yeah. I don't know. I'm sending you to Nahal. I'm sending it to Nahal because Magav is like the, the rough headed, the, like the, the blue collar, you know? I guess that's yeah. probably my phone. Yeah. Sorry, let me just ask no you. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, um, um, so he sent me to this Nahal thing. Yeah. And I go to Nahal, I go to do my basic training. And then, you know, I knew I wanted to go as high as possible, but I didn't know anything about the army at that time. Like, I didn't know what units they had. I didn't know there was Navy SEALs. I didn't even know that existed. Special forces, I didn't know what that was. Uh, I just knew that there were, like, combat units of infantry. Yeah, that's where I that's wanted where to That's where you want to go yeah. to. And um, so I go to this place, and then there's a selection. And uh, I didn't know what the fuck that was. Nothing. So they're like making us like run around, like crawling and stuff like that. And I didn't understand really the language. I, and this is going to sound so, you're, you're, so like, it's going to sound like I'm making it up, but this really happened. I see a kid and I see him, he lifts his hand, he says something. Blah, blah, blah. They take him to the side 
And then he comes back and he's running with us again. Okay. So, um, and they had told us that we can only say one word. It's called a Polish, which means I, now I know it means I quit. Okay. Yeah. But back then. I thought that kid had said that. Anyways, yeah. so so I want a drink. And I'm number one, like one or two coming back, running, crawling. And then I'm like thirsty. And I see this kid, they gave him water and they let him come back. So I'm like, fuck, I'll lose a couple points, whatever. But I, I need to drink. So I raise my hands. Like, what do you want? I say, I need Polish. Like, huh? They're like, are you sure, right? Yeah. Are you sure? Are you positive? I'm like, yeah, I Polish. All right, fine. And so they grab me, they take me to someone else, and they start like walking me away. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, wait, what happened? I can't go back. He's like, no, that's it. You quit. <laughs> oh, fine, I quit. Fuck. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I would have said that. I can't like assure you that, yeah. right? I did do it afterwards. I did that thing again when I came back and I did pass it. But um, so they take me to this tent, right? The, the quitter's tent. <laughs> And I'm like, why did you quit? I'm like, well, I, 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 <laughs> I, didn't know, I, didn't know I, I wanted to drink water. <laughs> Fuck. And they're like, well, we're sorry, man. Right. Yeah. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> so I go to this infantry unit at the beginning. I was worried. I'm like, damn, like, it's, it's so bad. Like, I guess I could have done the other thing. Right. Yeah. But I had great people there, man. I had a really good commander there and they're rare. You know, they're rare. What's the formation like? What are they forming you to be? Like, uh, are you uh, getting in trained and. Yeah. I think basic training in most places is just. The transition from civilian to to soldier in terms of uh, the basic things, right? Like understanding that if you need to work without sleep, like that's what you're gonna do. Yeah. What 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 did you struggle with the most? Like just the language aspect of it. The language was was horrible, but I was. Uh, it keeps you sharp. Yeah. Because you're all the time you like paying really attention to everybody attention else. To yeah. Every, yeah. And um, I think for me it was like you know I was a teenager that I would. I would not wake up early, man. I was like, like, just like man, yeah. I, I can't go to school because I'm like, I need to sleep, right? Yeah. Some shit like that. And, then, and now it's like, hey, it's five in the morning and you went wake to, the fuck. you maybe slept at two in the morning and you have to wake up, wake up now, right? And then it's cold and you're like running and doing all this shit. And and it's it's impressive, man, because you start learning in, in military training. I think it starts like opening up the boundaries of what you can do, right? yeah. which you didn't think you could do. You you, could, you you hadn't pushed yourself to edges, and you start finding yeah. those edges. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's. Uh, I I think for me it was a great moment because I came from basically failure. Yeah. Like I didn't get my high school. I was, you know, trouble kid. You couldn't complete anything. I can't like achieve something. And now, hey, I'm a good soldier. Like I got rewards for those for those two courses. My basic training was the best one of my battalion, and I'm like, you know, I can be good. You, you, you find you find yeah. you find purpose there. A little, yeah. yeah, you find purpose. You find that you can express yourself and get to good things, right? Which I hadn't had that opportunity before, or or at least I didn't embrace it that way. When you when you go through the training. Uh, when you go to your basic and you start getting a ass assignment, basically, mm -hmm. uh, are you seeing things changing uh, politically around you? Are you seeing the signs of a conflict coming? Are yeah. you seeing more uh, other oh. people that you hey, want to be like that guy? Uh, at the beginning, I didn't see that stuff too much. I was just focused on, you know, like really the task at hand. Like Building. I'm, I'm, I'm more of like, yeah, the, the like if I need to like, do this, uh, you know, this with with that machine gun. Like, I, I that's what I want to do. Like, it's kind of like a sport, right? Yeah. To me, uh, and, compartmentalizing and specializing. Yeah, just, just I guess. On that. So yeah. I was just focused on that. But one of the things we did there, which was part of history, which is lost also. Uh, not a lot of people know about this. This was 2005, and so I finished training and all of that, and then 
uh, at the time, the prime minister of Israel was uh, Ariel Sharon. And um, the Gaza, right? So the area of Gaza was like the West Bank is today. Now, to explain that to those who don't know, it means that there wasn't a border like the one you have here next door. Yeah. It was open and there were settlements of Jews and and, uh, and uh, Palestinians living next to each other, fighting each other sometimes, but it was like intertwined. So that was life there in the Gaza Strip at that time. It wasn't all Palestinians back then. Yeah. It was mixed. It was mixed, intertwined, and there was conflicts happening. There was conflict, but then and that's and there were soldiers stationed around the Gaza, Gaza Strip to mitigate that, and they were working. Also, there's the, the Palestinian police was there. It was controlled, I think, maybe probably by the Palestinian Authority. This is you know this is 2005, and Ariel Sharon decides that the, they're going to do the disengagement from Gaza. Okay, so I don't know if you're familiar with this, but I'm a, yeah, let's, let's, a lot of let's people don't know it. this. A let's lot of people do it. not know this. So um, one of the political talking points of Israel is land for peace or no land for peace. Yeah, right? land for peace or no land for peace. That's yeah. like the... So then uh, it's, it's associated usually to the left, but the politicians say, hey, I, I'm going to give this land for peace so that we have peace because peace is more important, right? And, and then Ariel Sharon went for that. And what he did is he actually used... The army, the border police, the police, to go into the Gaza Strip, remove the Israeli uh, people living there, remove them from their homes, and then they built a, a, a border. The border, okay? yeah. And they gave all that land to the Palestinians, which is now the Gaza Strip. It's only Palestinians. No Israeli goes there. Israelis were basically taken mm -hmm. from their homes and resettled. Or yeah, and I was through that. Like I saw the images of people, like you know, yeah, holding, holding on, on holding to each other, stuff. and the policemen coming and like taking them out, arresting them. The army was also part of it. We were tasked to like secure an area or something. Like that. I mean, I didn't do any of that. But, but you were, you were, see, was there. you were yeah. seeing the experience of people being ripped from yeah. their homes. Yeah, they were ripped from their homes. They were putting in caravan homes, like and and. So you, I don't know how much the money they give. So them. you're not you're not, so you're you're there. You're very fairly new to this experiment, which is Israel. How does that make you feel being part of that? I mean, I was uh, I was uh, um, at the time I thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah, like I, I thought at the time I was like, well, this is what the government signed. Ariel Sharon is, you know, he liberated Jerusalem in the fucking forties, man. Like yeah, he was a guy. He's a badass. That guy. And like he was, because I'll tell you another thing. And you, you're, you're, you know, as a Mexican, I grew up thinking that the government is always corrupt, no matter yeah, what. Yeah. Like the, everyone's corrupt. Everyone does not that's, have. That's that's the that's the baseline assumption. Yeah. But when I got to Israel, it seemed to me like politicians did want the interest of the people. Like when I got there, I was like, wow, this guy's a patriot. Yeah. I could not believe it. I was like, wow, that's one of the things that made me like that country too. Like I thought they genuinely, I felt they genuinely cared about the place. Yeah. So I thought at the time that, you know, I, I also didn't get into it too much. I, I don't know at that time a lot. Yeah. But I was like, this is my task. And I'm like, hey, these people, like if they're being asked to be removed, well, I get it. I wouldn't better be removed from it, but I also wouldn't want to live in Gaza. So I'm like, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, uh, that's, it is what it is. I, I didn't have really a, an opinion. There were soldiers that didn't want to do it, which I... I understood it at the time. Did you see them? Like, yeah, I met a lot of people like that. Would they? Would they? I mean, what was a reprimand? Like, basically, would they? Yeah, you would get uh, punished. Some of them went to jail for that because they didn't want to like uh, remove the and, you know and people. And what was the view of the rest of you? Well, some of these guys were being carted off to jail because they didn't want to. 
rip people from their houses. Well, I just didn't want to go to jail. I didn't want that. I didn't so, want that so, stuff on my record. Yeah. So you just want yeah. everybody wanted to just fucking conform and figure that out. Yeah. How some yeah, of these yeah. guys were being carted off. Yeah. And by the way, I, I noticed something there, which I, I it's consistent everywhere in history is that politicians they put who do they make do these things? The police, right? The military, the military. sometimes. And then they take the blame for it. Right? Oh, yeah. So who's the, the worst evil or the police? They remove those from our yeah. house. We, 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 you turn into, you realize you're the villain in the story. Yeah. You're, you're the, the, you're the, villain you're in the, the villain. You're the punching bag, right? For the government. Yeah. Like, we set the policy, you do it and it's your fault. You're the bad guy. So this is, this is the service you do, this, uh, the initial service. Yeah. So yeah. That, that was my, my national service. And we went to places like um, in the West Bank also, on the border with Lebanon. Um, but, I mean, you know, I got some stuff, but it wasn't that crazy. And it was short. Yeah. Because then in 2006, like January, I was basically done with it. I, I Even though I asked to stay, but again, bureaucracy didn't work out. Like, I, I signed the paper. I'm like, go. I want to no. stay longer. They're no, like, leave. okay. And they're like, oh, by the way, you're getting out. Oh, okay. okay well, thank you. Okay, cool. <laughs> so I'll just go. And then... You, you left for a bit. Then what were you doing that time? I was uh, trying to get... You know, I, I was trying to make my mom happy. So she said, oh, you have to study. You have to do your degree. Blah, so you're, blah, blah. you're still you're still staying there trying to figure out your degree. Yeah. So then I was like, hey, I went to the military. So now I can study here. I'm, I'm Israeli now. And um, and so I wanted to get into college in Jerusalem. The university. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, at that time I met, you know, this girl, Natalie Portman, the actress. Yeah, yeah. I met her. She was studying there at that time. Okay. And I was with a friend of mine who was studying with her. And, you know, I met her and everything and... Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman. I mean, what the hell, right? Uh, wow. But yeah. anyway, so I'm trying to get into... <laughs> I'd say it's cool. I'd say it's cool. <laughs> it so, was cool at the time. Yeah. Now I, I guess I don't really care anymore. But, but uh, you, you're, you, so you're going through the university. What are you studying? Like, what, what's I your was going to study. What, what, what was your... Oh, yeah. Well, um, I don't remember. I think I was going to study... Diplomacy or something like that. Some, yeah, yeah. And You're trying to figure well, out. Well, the thing is, like, to get into university, I had to do a year of preparation. A pre oh, okay. So they have which like a, was like a yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a course of like getting prepared for, to go to university, right? For a year. I'm like, come on, man, just let me do it, right? And then at that time, I needed my high school diploma, so I called my school. You, you don't have. You don't. You I didn't, didn't have the French high school diploma. <laughs> you didn't finish. Yeah, <laughs> but I called my school. And I told them, hey. This is the deal. I want to go to university now. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, you might qualify for the Mexican high school diploma. So I tell them, okay, great. And then they just send me that and I have that. Yeah. <laughs> I did qualify for that somehow. <laughs> so I got that. And then I could go to university. Yeah. But at that time, that's when the war came off in 2006. It's 2006. Yeah. Can you describe the atmosphere there? It's, uh, Man, it was crazy because it's like... Uh, like, did you, where you were civilian life, do you start feeling that like, oh, people are freaked out? What's yeah, on the news? Yeah. What's going on on the news? Well, the news is one thing, but like you feel everything there. Like you yeah. hear rockets uh, and you hear bombs and, um, um, you know, you hear the alarms. Like they have these alarms, like it starts sounding and you know that there's like a, a bombing that's going to happen. But, you, but you're um, not a soldier anymore. You don't I'm have not a soldier. I was working so in, in the kibbutz. I was working in the... Uh, the, the plastic factory and at this like store and I'm like every day you would wake up and the news had pictures of people who died the day before soldiers from, or civilians from right? missiles landing from or, or in combat in Lebanon combat in yeah. Lebanon uh, and so uh, that's when like one are you, morning are you, are you are you hearing anything from the guys that you left uh, in the service I'm talking to them I'm trying to get into reserves yeah and are they saying like dude it's crazy don't come back 
Well, at that time, um, the thing is that you couldn't really talk to people who were in the front because they didn't have their phones. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to talk to someone else to try to get into reserves because when I got out, uh, whatever, because the program I was in, I I didn't have a reserves unit. So I'm trying to go through bureaucracy basically in the space of a month, which is the time of that war, and it didn't work out. To get back into a fight. Yeah, and um, I mean, thinking back, you know, maybe maybe I should have just showed up somewhere and grabbed a gun. Yeah. If that's what I wanted. But um, I didn't do that. And and um, and then one morning I wake up and I see like a picture of a friend of mine who went with me into the military. He just stayed. His document did go through. And um, I'm like, damn, like I started to feel like I was, you know, culpable. Like it was it's like, why wasn't I there with him? Yeah. yeah like the, the, he went, he did what he was supposed to do. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I escaped. Yeah. I feel like I escaped something. Like Guilty. I, Guilty, right? I'm like, damn it, no, I can't let this happen. And then I realized that I was trying to get away from this, but like, where was the only place where I had been successful so far in my life? It's just the military. So why wouldn't I just keep doing that? You know, what do I want to study? I hate school. (laughs) Yeah, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Why would I go there, right? Why would I try to get these jobs in these companies? Like, I don't don't like this stuff. For your mom, not for you. Right. That's exactly what you're doing. So then somehow I, um, I started the process and it took another six months and, um, I got back into the military there. Okay, I got back into the military, and they sent me back to my base where I did basic training, and I went to do the the selection now for the like the the recon, the special forces recon that they have at the battalion. So you you were you went to a selection process for a special uh, like yeah. a reconnaissance unit. With, yeah. So it's a reconnaissance unit, and they have like um, they have three detachments. One of them is the the kind of like a force recon type of thing because it has like uh you do like a counterterrorism course you know for like responding to uh active shooters and hostage rescues stuff and like more like uh, elaborate raids i would say so i went to do that selection the one i had tried to do before which i i just basically sabotaged myself yeah, yeah, yeah. want some water <laughs> and this time i i didn't sabotage myself i did very well you know and um so I was lucky enough that I was, I knew what I was doing, right? Yeah. And you realize like, hey, there were kids there that couldn't put the shirt on, like they put it backwards. Yeah. So um, you were it, ready. it was obviously easier for me because I had some background. You, you were ready. Yeah. And then I started training and it was a different type of the, the, the train. What's the training in this unit? Like this is a reconnaissance yeah. unit. This, this anti-terror, uh, counter-terrorism yeah. is in it. Uh, but also the, it was also the concept and the, the, the context of time. Because this was right after the Lebanon War, yeah. which was a, a punch in the face to the Israeli army. Yeah, like it was a wake-up call in many, many ways. For instance, uh, a lot of soldiers ended up without water, without food for days, because they just couldn't carry all that stuff with them. So they um, they, they, for, they forgot how to fight a war far. Right. You know exactly. Like carrying stuff for many, many miles with a lot of weight was not something that Israeli army was good at. I don't even think they're good at it nowadays too much, but. They really made that a point. Yeah. And there was a lot of, uh, like, all of my commanders had been there, and they were scarred. Yeah. They were really scarred of seeing their friends, like, die, you know, with, like, limbs flying over from anti-tank rockets and shit like that. So they were really bitter at that time. Yeah. And so the training was was horrible. Extra, it extra, was, extra, it was extra brutal. brutal. And the Israeli army doesn't really have any supervision in terms of, like, safety. Like, it's very, very bad. 
that, that's, I'm, I'm sure here it's worse. It's, 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 yeah. it's one of the aspects that is hard to explain to Americans. Yeah. <laughs> like when they come at me with stories about yeah. the army, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, they used to make us sweep up water in the rain. <laughs> well, they used to punch me in the face. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, they used to hit me with river canes across yeah. the back, you know. Um, absolutely, man. But absolutely. so they are. It's even worse here, probably. They, yeah. It's it's re worse than retarded, a little bit more retarded. But like they are basically coming off a, a, a an experience that showed the holes in the training, yeah, and yeah. the lack of. Yeah. So they weren't fucking around. Like they so had motivation they, to really make you. You show up there. Yeah. They with really all the motivation on your side and they legit are making every single effort yeah. so you don't fuck up. Everything was like, fight. and and that's the right way to do it, but it was very intense because they had like no heart, man. Like they were, also it, they were just coming from a war where they saw their best friends die. Yeah. A few, maybe a year ago, maybe six months ago. So imagine now, now you're trying to train these soldiers. These young kids are coming in there. And you're thinking that they're going to see the same thing. So you're really being extra tough, right? When um, you say extra tough, what's what is the corrective? What are they doing? Well, for example, um, the worst thing we had was the Krav Maga that we had, like the, the defensive tactics training. It is basically an excuse for them to beat the shit out of you. Yeah, that's that's what it was. It was just abuse. I didn't learn anything, man. You did, it was you, just you, abuse. I, I did learn something, but I mean, you no learned something. Techniques. You probably yeah. learned something about yourself going exactly, through it. Exactly. But it's a so Krav Maga aspect is basically the combatives component of yes, the training they're yes, doing. Yes. They'll put you in there yeah. and hey, this is how we're gonna, yeah. this is, this. So the, the, the training that we had was uh, a big majority of it was was navigating, right? With weight on your back. Yeah, land nav. Land nav. And you get to like 40% of your weight or more. And you, you're, you're basically doing like 20, 25 kilometers a, a night. Yeah. At some point. And it's tough, but hey, if you're a good athlete and all of that, like you're going to make it. If you're a good navigator, like for me, it was hard because I didn't know the land. Yeah. We we're navigating a country where some of these kids, they knew these places already. Yeah. They're like, they, oh, they, I know They were place. born there, yeah. but you're there. Yeah. Like, I was like, what the, the fuck? fuck? I don't know the where the hell I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another part of it was like the, the, the combat, right? Like the firearms. So I went through like this, like the combat, the counter-terror school, and you're learning all this, like, you know... Uh, CQB stuff and like urban warfare stuff, which is cool. I like that. Um, and then the other aspect of it is the defensive tactics. The recon aspect we did at the beginning, kind of like, you know, like in jeeps and things and like observations, shit like that. Um, but the defensive tactics, they do it once a week at least. And it's always like the worst day of the week. Sometimes it's when we're coming back from like a land navigation. And your legs are like dead. The whole day. Your the, legs are jelly. Well, the whole week. Yeah. You were the whole week like navigate every night, 25 kilometers, eating like a can of tuna a day. And you're like sleeping in the bus like this, like, oh. Yeah. And then the Krav Maga guy comes into the bus and starts choking one. Like, yeah. And you wake up like, oh. It's like seven minutes go, Krav Maga go. Yeah. And you have to wake everybody up and go with all this shit that you have to do to start the Krav Maga. And then the whole session is four hours and they're just abusing you. Yeah. It's like you, you start like standing in like a formation like this. Yeah. And he goes around and looks at you, boom, punches you in the stomach, right? Goes around, looks at you, boom, just kicks you. Uh, Push-up position. The ribs, bah, bah, just kicking you in the ribs all the time. Uh, they make you like crawl with someone in your back, like uh, running to each other, just like crashing to each other. Yeah. No, like nothing on you. Yeah. Um, it's basically just breaking you down. It's just physically. breaking you down. Yeah. And I had an instructor that was, he was fucking evil at the time. Like uh, to me, it was like this guy, I could not understand how he can be that this, evil. Yeah. Okay. 
I later, later on learned that he was an, an actor. Like he actually went in to be an actor. That was his profession. And he did a great job, man. I'll tell you that. Because he was like... Hannibal Lecter. He would come, for example, to this room where we were doing crime. There was like a plastic closet with like some some protectors that we never used for some reason. <laughs> and he's like, I want you to be like aggressive, right? Look at this. And he starts running towards the fucking closet and just crashes into it, destroys it. Destroys the plastic closet with his, with his head. And we're like, what the hell, this guy, right? Or like we had another guy, this Ethiopian guy, and he would like, what, like one, he's telling him, no, be aggressive, be aggressive. And he like, he actually grabbed someone and he beat him and he like beat his nipple off somehow. And he went to jail for that. But they were fucking crazy, these two. And, and you know, that, that was like every week I was scared of that session because it was horrible. And we knew it was usually on Thursdays. Yeah. And you had those butterflies in your stomach all day long, like, you know, doing whatever they made you do. You knew it was coming. What did you learn about yourself going through that fucking um, abuse? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I, first of all, I learned that I could be aggressive and that, that I am aggressive in some ways. Um, but I also learned that... If I listen to myself too much, I can be weak. Like I had times where, um, where, where like I felt like it was hard for me. I didn't realize it was hard for everybody else too. I was maybe a little too selfish in that sense sometimes. Yeah. And, um, but I think what I learned from it is also, I learned the combat spirit of not giving up, right? You don't give up. Yeah, you don't give up. But the, the most of what I learned came afterwards because when I got out of the military, I hated defensive tactics. And I was like, I can't let this happen, man. And then I went into martial arts. And I try to like correct my experience that you have and dominate that aspect That's in the sense that, that it would be like it wouldn't be something that scares me. It would be something that I would like thrive in. You you you're you're going through this process of getting ready for battle, basically yeah. war. And all these people that are training you are some of them are shell shocked, some of them are nipple biting uh, yeah. <laughs> maniacs who are there really passionate, probably though. They're trying to figure out a way to instill something in you that they thought might have been missing on their end, I yeah. guess. It sounds like they were trying to overcompensate yeah, for it, an insecurity as far as a whole yeah. fighting force. Especially the instructors in this unit. Like, Here's the thing uh, that, you know, in the IDF, and I'm sure in every other army, but the best instruction is only in tier one. Like yeah. if you're not tier one, you're not getting the best instructors. Where I was, it wasn't the worst instructors because they had been soldiers. But they were like oftentimes, for example, like our, our combative instructors, like they got out of combat. They weren't good enough to be in like these teams. And so they're like, well, go be an instructor, right? So it's a punishment. It's kind of like a punishment. It's like, oh, well, you're not good for this, but you certainly are good for teaching this, right? Yeah. I don't know why. And then in like the infantry, you get taught by people who have no idea what the fuck they're teaching you. Like yeah. absolutely none. The IDF has, for infantry, they have a unit that teaches firearms and they've never been combat soldiers. It's like, it's mostly girls who come in and they want to be firearms instructors and they go through this course, they give them a book, they learn the book by heart and then they teach you firearms and they're going to teach you how to go to combat right somewhere. That's in the infantry. Wow. In the unit I was in, you get taught by people who at least are part of like the, the unit and they, some, they were in some sort of a active a, capacity, active capacity. And then in tier one unit, that's when you get like, you know, people who are experts at what they do yeah. for the most part. And um, and so that's, you know, that's just how it was. Like the the, the Krav Maga in Sayyid Matkal, which is like the highest unit, is not the way it was. It's not, it's not, it was and not it, it's, In a way, it's more professional because they teach them more. 
but it's also easier in a way because they don't abuse them. Yeah. They don't abuse them like that. Yeah. And I, I know that because when I was a, a, an instructor at the federal agent school, like these units come there t- to learn Krav Maga. And I had, I taught many teams of uh, Matkal and Chaitet and, and man, they, the minute I, I turned the heat up a little bit, yeah, they, they didn't handle it so well, the, so, oh, the, especially the Matkal kids. Yeah. yeah. You go through this process of training. What what is it like when you get like what are you going to be tasked with when you get out? So the 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 unit that I was in the the classic uh, mission for it is having um, there's two types, right? So one one type is you have like a intelligence from the military intelligence tells you, hey, we need to get this guy from this house in this village, whatever. And then the way this unit operates is we'll land navigate for I don't know seven kilometers, five kilometers through like rural areas, get to the outskirts of the town and then get into the village kind of like quietly, right? So we'll wear like uh, ponchos, they call it. They call it poncho over there. Yeah. Which is kind of like, you know, with like camouflage of like rocks and shit like that. And you start like moving very slowly. And if there's dogs, like, you know, you'll try to like quiet them down. Uh, and then you you get to the the house or the area where you're going to get this guy and then you surround it and, and you 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 get the guy and then you get picked up by car sometimes or you have to walk somewhere okay yeah. out, out of town. So there, there's places so you is, can't drive in. This yeah. is insanely dangerous. Oh yeah. yeah. Retardedly dangerous and, and Especially at that time, because you know, there's waves in everything, right? So this was 2008 when I was in this unit, and it was the end of the second intifada, what they call it. And so we had IEDs in these towns. Like you, you they we, were expecting I, you. Yeah, they, we had a, I had um one of the commanders who had one of the majors, he went on an ID, man, like he completely like deformed him. He survived. Yeah. Um, so there's IDs in, in corners, like under trash uh, piles, right? And uh, for the cars, there's the shooting, like people are armed all the time, shooting at us with rifles and, and whatnot. And are you seeing any proficiency on their end or are they just random people with firearms shooting back at you or are they setting up a counter observation to yeah, try and find I, I don't you? think they're like... To 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 the Israeli soldier, um, the the like the Palestinian fighters are usually not very well trained. I would say maybe Hamas now has like more um, a little bit of more high end units. Some of them, you know, out of Gaza particularly. Um, but you know the 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 top adversary for Israelis is always the Hezbollah, the, the Lebanese. Hezbollah. The Lebanese they're Hezbollah the ones that are they have the most training, and they're there. They're 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 in that environment. Basically. So they weren't in the West Bank. That's not the environment I was on. They were in Lebanon, in the southern border of Lebanon, and the, the, the engagements you have with them are very different because th- those will include mortars from their side, yeah, artillery from their side, coordinated artillery. coordinated attacks to kidnap soldiers, and, and they, they've done this many times. They've kidnapped Israeli soldiers in, in the past. Um, so, you know, it is different, but it was dangerous nonetheless, and at the time, so that's one of the missions, navigating, infiltrating the town. Another one which... I liked because it was it fucking went well. Is that we do the land nav, we infiltrate the town, but we don't have a person that we're looking for. It's more like we're gonna do an urban ambush, they call it. Yeah. And so this is you know four in the morning, and the the the, the villages in the West Bank, they're you know you heard the term Casbah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a very very closed urban area, and um, and and so we choose like certain corners that we're gonna be on for hours. And then the, the 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 rules of engagement are that if you see someone armed, then you just shoot. 
So you're basically waiting for opportunity. Yeah. So then we were hiding in corners quietly, right? And like I many times I was like in a corner where like there's like a window. I can see the TV of like some family that are here, and I'm just waiting for Somebody. someone to come on this other side, right? What are you armed with? Uh, I was a negative. I got that machine gun that uh, that that this guy told me about. S so suppressed. It's not suppressed. It's a uh, kind of like the mini. I think it's the M two four nine here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the U.S. Anyway, so so it's 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 one of those. I have night vision. I have a laser on it, and it's kind of like shortened in a way, so I can I can carry it on my shoulder, and, but it's heavy. Yeah, it's a, it has it's like a, a, a like a roll of a, like 150 rounds at least, and the rest I have on me. Yeah. yeah. So I had that, and um, just and, and just oh, waiting. For, yeah, just waiting. Yeah, and the TV. Yeah. <laughs> watching somebody on there, you're there yeah. in your poncho, just waiting. And and base yeah. is, is it uh, communications? Is uh, imagine like quiet, like it's just waiting, it's very quiet. Wait, so it's wait just like, see. like for example, let's say you get like something's like, hey, um, there is a group coming like your way. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then you don't respond to that. You just respond with like clicks on your radio, right? Because you have it like on your ear, and you're like, okay, I got it, like two clicks, right? Yeah. And then they'll tell you, for example, green means they're coming close, or red, they're coming, they're going away. Then uh, the right way of doing it would be, didn't happen that way in the times I was there, but the right way for it to happen would be like, hey, we have these people, right? We're, we're looking at them. And then they say there's four people or three people by like group that we're on. So it'd be like the three of us, like choose a target and then like count down and fire at the same time. Yeah. Like that would be the way that to do it correctly. That would be beautifully done and... Yeah. It wasn't done like that, but uh, we were aware that that was the right way to do it. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, something, I, I didn't even know why, but so, we, you know, you, you shoot down like, you know, say a group and, and it happened a couple of times. And then for some reason, we're supposed to make sure that they're dead by throwing a grenade. Okay. Like where they're down. That's that's your double tap, a grenade yeah. where the area. Because yeah. we weren't going to go all the way there. So it's just yeah. like the grenade. And I thought that was a great mission because uh, these places were scary and, you know, you're like making it your own basically at night. Yeah. Nobody knows you're there. You did your job well. Like you navigated, you infiltrated the town like on, unnoticed and you're surprising the enemy there and the adversary. In enemy territory. Yeah. So I thought that was, that was cool. And it turns out that nowadays nobody does that. That is, yeah. it's, well, I imagine because it's very risky. It's yeah, risky. yeah, it was risky. Yeah, it's a very risky thing. Um, mm -hmm. So you go from creeping around in the night somewhere in enemy territory, um, confirming kills by throwing a grenade in the middle <laughs> of it, which is beautiful. I love that. It works. It, oh, I, I mean, I can imagine you can play dead, but then somebody throws a fucking grenade your way, you're probably gonna think, ah, oh, fuck. There is a good. meme about that, though. No? It's like a, uh, it's something like that. Yeah, there's, there's probably a meme, dude, but. Uh, Throwing a grenade to confirm is, is it's a beautiful. I didn't thing. make it up. I, I understand, and it, it is a, it is it is just to, to me like there's no way you can f can play possum when a grenade <laughs> lands. Into you. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. So this is this is a very dangerous job. You 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 tell me that you know when you talk to unit members of that unit now, they look at you like yeah, what they the don't do that stuff. You're yeah. doing some cowboy like, crazy. What? Some don't didn't even believe me. They're yeah. like, no. There's like, no way that's that what happen. we did. They're like, well, we don't do that now. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are pussies. 
<laughs> or, or you know, this is I, I get some of that sometimes uh, when I talk to people that are working in the same field that I used to work in, mm-hmm. where you tell them like, oh yeah, we used to just you know borrow cars that we would use for work. <laughs> what? <laughs> like steal them? No, I mean they were already stolen. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, it's it. I get. I yeah. guess uh, as we move forward in time, things change. Things change and. You know, the lack of cell phones, the lack of drone technology, oh, yeah. all of these things, uh, you know, body cameras. Like for some of the friends that I used right. to work with, they wear body cameras now, so yeah. they can't get away with half of the yeah. shit, you know? But it also helps you, the body camera. Yeah. Like there's so many advantages to it. Yeah, yeah. but like it's it, it basically changed. My experience is mm-hmm. never going to be able to compare to right. them because yeah, of yeah. the lack of that technology yeah. and the amount of bullshit it allows to do, Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, so you go through this process of working there and in this in this unit. Uh, you don't. It doesn't last. You 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 move on. Yeah. What happened that caused you to move on from this um, uh, this group? I don't know why. Uh, it's always like it's my, like my ass is on fire or something. I'm moving around. <laughs> but um, you 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 felt like it was enough time there. Yeah, I I felt like uh, it was. How long was that? I was only there for like two years. That, yeah. But that was that you probably two very spicy years, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, it was very spicy. <laughs> the training, the ops, like it was spicy, man. And it was a great experience. I mean, I, um, so, so I, I got out of that, and uh, it was the, the, um, the crisis, like the economic crisis 2009. And I wanted to go to study, but I also wanted to continue this path. So I, I kind of like uh, got accepted to be a federal agent in the Israeli airport. Oh, okay. So, uh, for, pe- airport. for people that don't understand what that means, so if, if the airports in, in in the airport there, there's a police force that runs right. at a federal police force. That well, ha- there is um, the Israeli airport at that time. There was only one international airport called Ben Gurion Airport near Tel Aviv. Inside of the airport, the security, the ones that are in charge of it, is kind of like the FBI of Israel. Okay. They're in charge of the security inside of the airport. Okay. Outside is the Israel's national police is in charge of the security because of the terrorism aspect, right? Yeah. And it's one of the airports that are most targeted in the world. Yeah. I mean, Um, I can imagine that the amount of stuff that is attempted to go in and out of that airport is pretty. Yeah. Um, And so what that meant is I went through this course in the school. There's a federal law enforcement training in Israel that's called Alazim, which means pines. Yeah. Um, and then I go to this course, which was like a three-month course, three, four-month course, and you're doing five hours of of, of shooting, yeah, uh, three hours of kramaga, and one hour of classroom every day for three months. That's wild. And you're sleeping in a hotel, by the way. They put you in a hotel. They give you great food, amazing food, best food I've ever had in a base. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, it's very, very professional. Like coming from the IDF, where I was like, you know. I was like, there was a point where I remember I had like a, like a sartén, how do you say it? Like a pan? Yeah, a pan. And I was like cooking eggs with like a wrench, like just like going like this with a wrench and like, you know, those crackers, like the military crackers, like that's what I would eat. Good enough. Good enough. And now um, I'm in this place where like, you know, you're getting paid for it, for real. It's a serious job. Everyone's an adult. Dress After what? The you have army. to dress. You have to dress nicely, right? You have to cut your hair and... And look the part, right? And and uh, so so I'm. I started that job. I worked at the airport in like it's a plain clothes unit. It's not undercover. It's plain clothes. They don't teach you how to be undercover. They just teach you to dress like 
you're traveling. You go into the airport. And yeah. if there's a dude that shows up with an AK-47, you, you take him out within 10 seconds, right? Like they want you to make sure you end it within a couple of seconds. So I was in that unit for about three years. Part of it also has um, a marksmanship, like a sharpshooter thing. Yeah, you're basically shooting at it. If you are responding to something at an airport, mm -hmm. you have to know where your yeah. rounds are going. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, probably a lot of effort. Because it's crowds. It's called it's crowd security. I, I don't yeah. know if that's a concept, but I, I see it as a concept. Yeah, it's, it's crowd security and also firearms are involved and you have to yeah. respond immediately. So yeah. I imagine the pressure and the training to be able to put rounds into yeah. where they need to be is high. Yeah. And so, so you, are you getting put it through just a lot of shooting? Oh yeah, there's a lot of shooting. I mean, now when you when when you talk about the the so you you're coming from a combat unit, yeah, and you're already putting rounds, yeah, you've already put rounds out there, and now you're what's the what's the difference now? You're now it's a more ref, now they're teaching you how to refine that. Now they're teaching you just how to use a yeah. You're, pis, the, the pistol uh, gets introduced into it. Yeah, because I mean the IDF is terrible at teaching pistol. Like the IDF. The, they suck at shooting pistol. Okay. In the IDF, like very bad. So, um, so they didn't really teach us like how to shoot a, a handgun. Yeah. A rifle, like you shoot it and you learn, and you can be a good shooter. But the handgun is like, so it's, it's, like it's like it fell from like another universe, and they're like, "What the fuck do we do with this handgun?" Well, just carry, it, just be careful with it, yeah. right? But um, at this school of Arazim, like they they really mostly do handguns. Yeah, the pistol. So for Israel, that's probably the highest level of handgun. And um, what, 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 uh, so, how are you being trained to carry? Like uh, we, we've, like I've been great exposed. Question. Yeah. I've been I've been exposed to some of the Israeli training yeah. out here. Yeah, and you well, know, different the, conditions of carry. Yeah. So, so the thing is that um, this is a, a direction. But when I was a federal agent there, everybody was car carrying condition one, one in the barrel. One in the for, when you were when you were in the chamber when you were where when I was there in that uh, as a federal agent. Okay, you, yeah. everybody was carrying one in the one chamber. the chamber. For the airport, air marshals, dignitary protection, all of them had one in the chamber. And was this discussed with you? Like, we carry one in the chamber? Or this is how was it was, this, yeah. Or, and did they say why? They just say, this well, it's better, 100% yeah, better. better. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I'm not going to defend condition three yeah. <laughs> as, as something that's better. It might be convenient for, for, for the organization for some reasons. Like, I, for example, the IDF cannot carry condition one. Okay. Because they don't train enough to carry condition. Like they're like a liability. Yeah. So um, we had, I had a guy in the room next to me in the idea who negligent discharge into like a closet, right? Just horsing around with the gun. What, what gun was this? Uh, in the idea at that time, we had Sig uh, Six Hour, the, the six two, two eight, I think, or something okay. like that. Yeah. But you're, you're now uh, you're in the Federal Forces. But in the Federal Forces, it was a Glock. So I had a what, Glock what 19. A Glock 19. Yeah. The C, the they, they had the, the Gen 3, the C. Okay. That's a model that was made specifically, well, that's what they say, okay? I, I don't know. It was made specifically for the Israeli, for that, the... The, 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 the federal. The secret, well, I guess like the FBI of it. Okay. Yeah. It's called the, the security agency. So it's a yeah. it's a 19C. Yeah. So that means it has a compensator on top, the trigger is different, and um, it ha it comes with like the night sights. Yeah. Okay. So you, you have this Glock 19... C. Oh yeah, like a bigger mag. Uh, the mag will uh, release. Yeah. So you, this is this is your gun. The, now your your new task is basically mm -hmm. to wait. Yeah. To wait. Yeah. How does that feel? Like you're not you're, so going from like I've I've been there, man. Yeah. Being in an operational unit where you're going there to start <laughs> shit or yeah. to put you down. Yeah. But now you're yeah, you're, not. You're in an ambush forever. Yeah. You're just. 
does that feel? What does that, uh, what does that do to your... I mean, I think there's a great lesson from it, which is how you keep your mind busy, right? Like, for example, like when I'm in a, when I was in a situation like that and when I think about my own security, I keep my mind busy thinking, what would happen if something happens here? If this happens, what do I do? If this happens, what do I do? And you go through that in your mind all the time. That keeps you sharp. Yeah. Otherwise, you fall into complacency, which is like the biggest virus in that That's interesting. niche. No, that's yeah. interesting. So as you're as you're as you're working and waiting for some of these things, you're basically doing. I'm imagining it. Your, yeah. your, your hypotheticals are basically. Yeah. For example, in the airport, I would be in this plane clubs unit. So I would be where people come out. So I'm like standing on with a sign, like waiting for whatever, Senor Rodriguez, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so I'm I'm looking at the entrance. Also, I have to position myself in a good place, and I'm thinking if someone came right now and started just shooting, like what would I do? To the level, like hey, I would. Draw my gun. Uh, he's down. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna look to this place. I'm gonna stand over there. Uh, what do I talk? What do I say on the radio? Uh, you know what I tell people to do. Like all of it, you, you go through like the sequence of events, and that gives you more confidence. Uh, Makes if you quicker. do have to do it. Makes, Makes it quicker because you're not gonna like um, hesitate, I guess, as much. And it also keeps your mind sharp. You're yeah. not like distracted so much by other things, and you you're like on the task. Yeah. But you can't do that forever, right? So, and I think they understood that because our, our job was, it's an hour and a half that you have to do like that, 45 minutes that you had rest. And again, an hour and a half, 45, an hour and a half, 45. They, they understand that so you it's have a to... big break. Yeah. But you need it. If you're going to be focused, you really need it. Or else, you, yeah. or else you'll fall into complacency. Yeah, I mean, if I had to do that eight hours, like with no, no way. Like, there's how, no way. There's you, just no, there's just no you way. You can't do that, yeah. Uh, what are the ty type of threats you're seeing here? Well, is it, in, is it... in 1970 something, uh, some Japanese guy from the Red Army or something like that uh, landed in Israel in that airport. It was called the Lod Airport, and he at that time, you know, you could fly with whatever you wanted, basically. So when he picks up his bag, he just takes out a AK-47, starts shooting at all the people in the in the airport, and killed like I don't know, like 20 people or something. So that's when they created this unit. And so the threats you're looking at is um, things coming that someone would come to the airport either from within Israel or from the West Bank, make it to the fact they want to do an active shooter attack on the crowds of the airport. That's the threat. That's the threat. That that that's the one that I'm responding to. Yeah. So I'm not asking people, you know, what they have in their bags or things like that. It's part of it. Yeah. Because if they find something, then I have to go to them and like kind of like react to that, but. Um, but the main threat is crowd, somebody crowd somebody security. showing up with a firearm and just starting to yeah. shoot in this crowded, yeah. very busy, very visual and impactful airport. I mean, if you yeah. do an attack on that airport, it will send a message that yeah. is going to ripple worldwide, basically. It also uh, weakens Israel because it was the only airport, international airport. So imagine you can't have flights, really. Yeah, I never thought it, about it that. It blocks the economy. I never thought yeah. about that, but yeah. So it's a very so you're there basically in a state of constant tension yeah. is what I want to. It's like a, it's like being a spring if you're there. I mean, yeah. When I did when I did my time doing security for a governor, I remember having this whole aspect of I didn't feel fulfilled in mm -hmm. my day, yeah, because nothing happened. Well, yeah. Be, but then I'm like, wait, that's a good thing. <laughs> nothing happened. It is a good thing, and that's I think one of the main issues with security work. That you don't see the fruit of your work. No, nothing happened. That's and fruit. that's the difference from like you, where you were saying, when I go and do the job, I either got the guy or I didn't, right? 
But when I'm doing security, I don't know if, if one of those guys showed up. He saw me and was like, no, man, I, I can't do this and walked out. Yeah. I just don't know if that happened. Yeah. Right? It might have happened. Who knows? But um, that's the problem with security. You don't see the, the results of your work and you're constantly in an ambush. Is, is, this, uh, is this weighing on you while you're there? Or is uh, it just, or are you just on I mean, autopilot figuring things out? It is weighing in a way a little bit, maybe. Like, obviously, you want more action, you want more things, but it keeps you, because it's kind of like they're selling you something. They're telling you, hey, it might happen. You're here, right? And you're going to respond to that. So you're like, of course. I was a student at the same time. And so, you know, you're you're busy with other stuff. And the training, I like the training. I always liked, like, the, the shooting and the, you know, the punching and the kicking and all of that. So... The, 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 yeah. the, the, was this your first introduction into like high level shooting as far as a pistol? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, today to me, I got some foundations there that I, I you know, it's, it's, I, I should completely different today. And I, I think I've advanced so much more from there, but it was a good foundation in terms yeah. of like combat shooting and, and, um, and compared to what I saw before and what I've seen in other units in Israel, it, it was, <laughs> it was really high level. Yeah. Awesome. What, what, uh, what made that end? Um, so I finished studying my, my college, uh, like the BA and, um, I mean, I wanted to move on to something a little more, I guess, yeah, more, more active, right? Yeah. More, a little more. Yeah. And, uh, one of the options I got, like from all the places I applied to and, you know, I don't know, I think some of them didn't work out, blah, blah, blah. And one of the places that did get back to me was the dignitary protection unit of the IDF. Okay. So I ended up going back to the IDF, and then I was a bodyguard for the chief of staff, generals, delegations going abroad, uh, you know, working together with the security agencies, dignitary protection unit. And that was a cool job because the, um, the dignitary, the, the chief of staff is very, very diverse. His, his, like, schedule is very, very, like, varied. So, you know, you could be in the morning in the Gaza Strip, like, looking over, like, in a border. In the, in the afternoon, you're, like, having lunch, I don't know, in... And then somewhere, and then in the evening, you're in Lebanon, basically in like South Lebanon doing something else. Like it's very, very like dynamic, dynamic, you're, super you're, dynamic. He's, he doesn't go to an office and sit all day. Like he's like all the time working, doing something somewhere else, like traveling abroad, coming back, secret meetings in fucking what, what, the what, other countries. What yeah. were you not ready for, for with this job? Um, I mean, imagine it's, imagine it's moving somebody in vehicles and, and, and yeah. flying and clothing changing yeah. and like, well yeah what, what, what yeah is... i would change clothes like three times a day at least we had everything change. on the back and like okay a suit all right you're done with that a uniform because this is like an, an official idea of uh, something you're done with the uniform okay civilian clothing he runs in the morning so the sports clothing everything in the back of the car and um and you're just like constantly wardrobe changing. changes yeah yeah. But I think what I wasn't ready for was that I was coming from a very structured work environment where, like, you know, I have my shift. This is a shift. This is exactly yeah. the this hours of work. Yeah. yeah. And, and almost... now I'm in a work where, like, they're telling me, hey, you start at nine. And maybe. But then at 12 at night, I get a call. Hey, he just decided he's going to take his daughter to the train station. So you need to show up at six. Yep. And that's <laughs> just how this work is. And, and I, I didn't like that too much because... I'll tell you what, that's what you were saying. Like, I, I don't see the fruits of my work. Like, <laughs> what do you mean he wants to bring his daughter to the fucking train station? Like, fuck you. I want to come with that. You know, yeah. I don't see the value in that so much because yeah. it's not happening. Right. Yeah. So that kind of like frustrated me a little bit. That's a, it's a lot. I mean, executive protection. Um, I did. I worked for a governor for a bit and the, the, I can't do another one. I, I legit. I, when I, when I finished with that family and yeah. like I was thanked and everything. Yeah. 
in my mind, I said, I can't do this again. It's yeah. it's basically living living around somebody yeah. else's life. Yeah. And it yeah. is a lot. Yeah, you're right. Um so you're moving around, learning all learning how to now how to kind of basically kind of interact with some of this this in this environment of being in a high level executive protection. Uh it is well it also teaches you uh I think the 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 most valuable aspect of executive protection is the advanced work. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the most interesting thing because was that's that, really was, was that what you gravitated towards the most? Like well, what, what's what the within mm-hmm. so like within executive protection, there's specialized driving people. Right, right. Like there's people yeah, that are great to drive. Yeah. Uh, there's people that are great for like close protection. There are people that are good in that yeah. first ring, second ring. Right. Uh, you have cat people yeah. who are basically ca- uh, counter assault so people. So I, I did a. Almost all of that, but uh, I was not a driver, even though I did driving courses. But my wife says I, st- I still drive like shit. I don't know. And she's constantly nagging about it. But anyways, I'm not a great driver, um, and I wasn't a driver. Uh, I did, like, I was the, 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 the primary yeah. at some point. But the way that it works in that unit is you, you, some days you're doing advanced work, some days you're primary, and so it depends, right? Uh, eventually, when I was an instructor f- in the school for the federal agents, then I was part of the CAT team, like the counter assault team, which I thought that was cool. But it's kind of like a SWAT team that is castrated. Wait, it's waiting. It's waiting. It's yeah. waiting. So that also kind of so, so yeah. sucks. But, y- you know, the gear and all of that. Yeah. I mean, I worked with the CAT, the, the Secret Service CAT guys, like, fucking like cool guys, you know, cool stuff. And I was like, wow, like I'm basically the CAT team of Israel. Wow. And, and we would go to events and people were like, wow, those guys, wow. You yeah. know, all the gear, like, so amazing, but you're waiting. it's frustrating for me because you're waiting. You're not fucking doing anything. Yeah. Right? I, I think for, for me, advance work was some of the stuff that I liked the most. Yeah, me too. Just going somewhere, figuring out the best route there. Exactly. You have to use your head. That's what's so and it's, great about and it. And you can see the fruits yeah. of it because right. when your VIP gets there, yeah. nothing goes wrong. Right. And, and, and that's it works smooth, right? Yeah, and or, or like, like yeah. a question. You yeah. know, like I remember... I had this list of things that people never thought about mm-hmm. when they would do an advance that I would start gathering. Like, ah, when you discover something that other people hadn't asked about. So yeah. I remember my first time I went uh, somewhere outside of the confines of the state. <laughs> I went somewhere and I figured out that I probably should figure, uh, I should probably know where if a small Pomeranian got sick. I should probably where know where, where to take them. Oh, yeah. And I asked, I just, hey, if I had that is a good question. A Pomeranian yeah. that gets sick hmm. and I had to take them somewhere, where would you take them? Oh, let me call somebody. Yeah. And we had that. First Very trip, fine. Yeah. Second trip, fine. Third trip, dog gets sick. Yeah. And I'm like, are you psychic? <laughs> like, how did you know? And I think that moment and some moments like that when you solve issues of that nature just by yeah. foresight and looking at these things. I, I think, think that's how you survive in that in that niche of work. Yeah. Of executive protection, it's that. Yeah. Because that gives you something, right? And then yeah. you, you're like, you, you want to keep working and doing your job. Otherwise, yeah, it, it just wears you off. If, if, if you are a person that thinks, this is beneath me, or this is outside yeah. of the confines of what I do, I'm not yeah. going to hold that. I'm not going to think about a Pomeranian. Right. But then you're like, right. hey, the family's going to get exposed if I don't yeah. take care of this. Right. For them, yeah. or if this isn't kind of planned out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a uh, well, especially in the civilian sector, uh, it's a lot more like that. Yeah, right? yeah. Where I was, I you know, at the end of the day, I didn't have to carry anything yeah. because that's just like 
that was the rule is like, hey, like I'm I'm actually in the culture in the culture mm-hmm. of bodyguards out there must be completely different. I mean, as far as hey, these guys are here to do a service, and I've been in that service maybe. Yeah. So the culture may be a bit more respectful, but there's places where people will hand you things yeah. and stuff like that. And well, it depends on the VIP, right? Yeah. Like we had some some guys who were nicer than others. For example, like uh, uh, the guy that I was mostly with, Benny Gantz was the chief of staff at the time. He's a very nice guy. You know, he'll never like ask you to do something that outside might of the, like outside uh, of your yeah. function. His wife was a little less nice sometimes. I mean, she's not. It's not that she's not nice, but she's kind of like annoying, and. Um, <laughs> Just being in the car and listening to those things like, Benny, and I'm like, Jesus, how does he do it? Man? How does he fucking do it? I don't know. It's amazing. And uh, I mean, Bibi, he's a nice dude. He's a very smart guy. Uh, Eud Barak was like a jerk. And um, this other guy, Boogie Alon, great guy too. There was a couple of good people, a couple of people who were closer than others. Like this other guy, Gabi Ashkenazi, was the chief of staff before Benny Gantz. He's like a bro. Like, he's like, come into my house, bro. Just sit down, bro. What do you guys want? Like, everything. He's like, you know, yeah. he's there for you. Yeah. Like, he cares about you, right? Yeah. What is it? What is what is having a VAP like that do for your work? Well, is it makes it much it better, makes, right? Because you connect. You feel like, hey, yeah, I like this guy and I care about him, right? Yeah. When it's like a cold guy, you're kind of like just like making sure you don't fuck up, right? That's all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying, I'm asking this for people out there yeah. that might have bodyguards at some point, right. you know, yeah. legit. Uh, I, I think the problem is that in the civilian sector, uh, it's way more complicated. Yeah. Because when you work for the government as a bodyguard, like you're there because the government determined Told that you. this person needs to be protected. Yep. So he's not necessarily your boss exactly. Yeah. But when you're in the civilian sector, like, hey, he's, you might bring up something to protect him and he doesn't like it. You're yeah, fired, man. Yeah. Like, fuck that. I think one of the, one. Of, I mean, I was working for the government doing this this type of job, and I remember having these moments of like, who's really in charge? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I think one of the best lessons that I got from one of the people that formed me is number one, part of our job as a professional executive protection agent is to educate our clients. Hmm. So, if you say that you can't hold something, yeah. You better come up with a legit dissertation why, yeah. of why, and, and, and deliver yeah. and deliver it in such a way where it isn't like <laughs> gonna get you fired. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, who's the client, right? If you're trying to explain it to some little girl, like, good yeah. luck, man. Like, yeah. No, so, like, I, for me, I realized quickly that with my family yeah. that I was working with, the wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to. Let's explain it to her. Let's explain it to her. Okay. Yeah. Well, so good, that, that's the work. Like, yeah, that's where you're using your mind. I mean, that's. I think that's where you get the most skills out of that job, you yeah. know, for for solving things just afterwards. It 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 it, it uh, stops for you. You you, yeah. you you figure out what 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 opportunity do you see? Like why does it end that uh, executive protection side of it? Like where where do you go from there? Uh, so I was uh, doing that, and then I got offered to be an instructor at the school of the dignitary. Well, sorry, the federal agents in Israel, yeah. federal law enforcement training center of Israel. It's called the Pines, right? The Alazim, and the, I that, got offered how, to be how, a. How does that feel? Do you feel anything about being offered yeah, to be instructor? Yeah, because I, you know, you always look up to those guys. Like when when I was in the course, those guys were like gods to us, right? They're like, wow, man, like they sit down, you know, the girls who, like eating who, around who them. Who calls you for this? Are you in the running? Is um, it is it an invitation thing? Like, what is that like? Well, I asked someone that I knew that worked there, and then he's like, I'm gonna talk to someone. Then they called me, and they're like, Yeah, I think you you would be good for this, and they like told me. They yes, looked. They looked at all. They looked at all your shit, probably. Yeah, I mean, because you're training there, right? Yeah. So they see if you're good or not. But I wasn't. I mean, 
be, having been an instructor there, I see the students, I see who I could identify as an instructor. And I don't know if I was one of those. I think I came like a little bit like from the side a little bit. Yeah. Some people are just like, you know, they're like obvious, like we polished, want them, right? well worked. And um, I, I don't know, I guess it, it always takes me a little longer, but I get there. Yeah. And um, so I got offered to do that. But I was going to start as a Krav Maga instructor, defensive tactics, combatives. And they and at this time, I, I'd been doing martial arts also for a while. I was, I was doing Thai boxing and all of that. So I, I was into it and I liked it. And I, I'd even done some like amateur fights and you, stuff. But you weren't mm -hmm. a Krav Maga level five instructor from <laughs> some of these. Oh, you were... I, I'm still not, man. But I, I, I don't so, even like... It doesn't I, even I like... I just I want to... I don't... I want like... I, yeah. Because... We live in a day and age where people yeah. talk out of their asses sometimes. Right. Yeah. Uh, when you say Krav Maga, you mean combatives. Yeah, because, for example, the Krav Maga in the Israeli army and the Israeli defense forces is not the Krav Maga in the civilian world, really. Yeah. Like, it's it's not that curriculum, which all, all these, like, things that I see people teach, like, um, uh, you know, Retsev or something like that. I'm like, I never did any of that. You, like, it was like when we had to box, we boxed. And when it, we had to like wrestle, we wrestled. You, you, and you, you studied with specialized instructors. Hey, we're gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna study wrestling. I'm gonna study boxing. I'm gonna yeah. study kickboxing. Yeah. Like when it and came were, to you, that, we had our, our special and, instructors. And you yeah. said you were a martial artist by this. Between you, you've been training with yeah. different peoples, not, uh, with different people in different disciplines. Like, what were you training? I was training. Uh, thai boxing is the first one I got into. I don't know why I got into this Thai boxing and I had this. kicking people is fun. That's why. Yeah, it's fun, man. It was it was nice, <laughs> and I, I went through a process. I really learned a lot. Uh, that's how I started to get back into. Well, I started to get into like martial arts because when I got out of the IDF, it was all abuse. This crap, my guy. So I was like, <laughs> what the fuck, fuck? Right? You don't want any of that. I didn't want any of that. But then I was like, no, you know what? I'm gonna get into it, and I'm gonna make it my own. So I went and I did that, and um, I did some boxing. Some I, I like the Dutch style kickboxing a lot. And then when I got into this place, the first thing they told me is like, hey, so we have a boxing class on Tuesdays on more mornings? Come to this boxing class. And this, I'm not hired yet as an instructor. Okay. So I start coming to these classes. So I show up. And the first thing I see is like this really like skinny guy, maybe a little less tall than me. I'm like, eh, piece of cake, right? And, um, and then uh, we start the boxing class. They bring like a professional boxer instructor who teaches like outside. He comes every Tuesday in the morning to teach us the class, right? And we're, I'm like boxing guy. I'm like, this guy's so fucking quick, so strong. I'm at my 95%, like just mm. like angry at him already. Like yeah. I'm just, I don't fucking care if he knocks me out. I'm just working. And he's like at his 80% or something. Just, you know. We finished the class. I'm like, what's your name? He's like, oh, that's Matt Mon. And it turns out he had been like a youth, like world champion, you know, kickboxer or whatever. It's fucking like virtuoso okay like the way he manages distance the way he is the efficient with his with his striking like even though he weighs probably half of what i weigh he's so much more powerful than i am and i was lucky that the, the guys that i was with on the one hand i was lucky that there was so much talent around me that i yeah. learned from yeah like jiu-jitsu black belts world champion kickboxers like all of this and but to my detriment like i got my ass kicked by them like all the time so it was like the feeling of like, and you're a martial artist there, like you're an instructor, right? So we have like a little area where you're like sparring every day. Just yeah. like when you don't have a class, oh, let's go spar. Yeah. So we're like sparring each other and then you you finish, you know, you're walking all like wet, like sweaty, like you just came out of the pool. Your face is all red from the gloves. You have like red marks in your legs from the kicks. You go take a shower with your clothes on, you know, take it off. 
put your your polo shirt on, go back to teach a class, you know, like, hey guys, now you guys are gonna do this, right? Like, and sometimes in some courses, like if I'm following a course, like I don't know, like an air marshals course, I do the whole like course within three months. I'm teaching them, you know, I'm seeing them grow, making them better. And at the end, I'm sparring with them, like one by one, right? And they're not great, right? They're not hard. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's 20 people sparring you one after another. And I have to be in shape. I have to show that I'm a fucking badass. Yeah, yeah. And I have to, like, allow some some pain sometimes, right? I have to, like, pain them a little without injuring them. Just so they're like, oh, no, Bernard is a fucking badass, man. It's like this. Even though, like, maybe I'm not really that badass. But I, I, you have to do it, right? Yeah, you have to, you have to, be, you have to make that mask. Yeah. As an instructor. So, yeah, so that was a great job, I think. I learned a lot. Safety-wise, this place is very safe. So, so different from the IDF experience that I had. Like, safety is paramount there. They're, like, obsessive about safety. Head Headgear. Head I mean, they don't even, like... Like, any injury is, like, you know, it's, it's, oh, what need, happened, to, how did it need, happen? We need Everything. to figure out what happened, yeah. yeah. And um, and I was able to work as an air marshal there as well, like, part-time, which I thought... I think in security, that's the best job. Air Marshal. From that realm of like dignity protection, Air Marshal, all everything has to do with security. If you're gonna be in an ambush, then at least be in an ambush, you know, with nice food, nice hotels, you know, air. air. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, business the, class, the, business class. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, that, that sounds like a that sounds like a solid. I game. mean, it was fantastic that thing, and and um, and I was in the cat team, the counter assault team. Yeah, and I, I was there for like four years, a little more maybe. Uh, learned a lot, man. Yeah. Did that come back into you? The tiredness, like, yeah, oh, we need to fucking figure something out again. Did, yeah. that, did that come back to visit yeah, you? It did. It did. I, I was like, well, this is good, but I'm like telling people what to do all day long, you know. And I'm not an um, I'm not an overtly arrogant guy because I, I I don't like I don't think I'm the best at everything at, at nothing basically. So I'm like, you know, I'm telling these guys who some of them have done like. You know, there's always a student that you're like, you could learn from him so much. Yeah. And I'm like, just telling them what to do. I'm still young. I thought, you know, I, I can do something. Hey, I want to go out, man. I want to do something else, right? I want to go back to the street. And um, I had a terrible boss at the time. He was a fucking asshole. I hated him. But he knew the commander of uh, this unit, Yamas, from the border police. Okay. Can, mm -hmm. can you describe what Yamas does? Yeah. And so Yamas is one of the special operations group of the border police. And it's a unit that the specialty of the unit is undercover tactics, law enforcement intelligence to get to high risk areas and capture uh, high value targets. This is infiltration shit. This is social engineering yeah. at its In the unit you have uh, people who really their job is just to do surveillance at a very high level. Why I say high, high levels because it's, it's a different language. A different type of, of dressing up, different areas. You have to become the part. You have to become the part. And this is, uh, I mean, you you already were, you were in reconnaissance unit. This is, yeah. this is this is another level beyond. It's a that. totally do different level. And and by the way, I was not one of those surveillance guys. Like that's yeah. not my specialty. Yeah. I was part of like the the SWAT element of the unit. So you 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 go yeah. into this, and arrest teams. You yeah. you, you 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 that's what you want to do now. But this unit, funny enough, is that I throughout the years I always felt something that was pulling me towards that unit. You, you mentioned it before in the conversation, like you, you saw it. I saw it. Well, I remember when I was back in the IDF, there was like times where we were doing security for this unit. They were like doing something like, "Hey, Yamas is like in this place, and we're like uh, ready if something happens to go help them." Right? Okay. I remember seeing guys from Yamas, and then they always looked to me like, "Wow, like these guys are fucking, you know, 
alpha, like for real, bro. And um, and then I met like a commander. I still, I remember like years before I was like, hey, I want to go to this unit. And he was like, yeah, I'll try to help you, but it didn't work out. Then I tried out for the unit one time when I was in the entire protection. And, and you know, they're like, oh, well, in the end, we could just bring two people. And I wasn't one of them. And now I had like an interview with the, the commander of the unit. And because I had more to offer now, like I was coming from the best school in the country. You weren't ready. You were an instructor. You weren't ready. You weren't ready until until I wasn't ready until that moment. Yeah, you're right. So then he's like, yeah, man, I I need an instructor like you to, you know, you're going to be in the teams, but you're going to be an instructor. You're going to bring the level up and eventually, you know, you can make your way into the, 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 the teaching, what do you call it? The the training department. Right. And I was like, yeah, man, well, first of all, I don't, I want to be in the teams. I told him this is what I, I came here to do. Eventually, if I get into the training department, that's great. But I didn't come here to be an instructor. I will be a part-time instructor. I'll be a you know part of the teams, and this guy, man, he's one of the he's one of the toughest commanders, but good that I've had. When you say tough, like as, as like far he's as gone he... through some serious shit, man. Like this is when you meet people who have like bullet holes in them, like you know that they've been through through some stuff. Like you know, he's never scared of anything. Like just the the calmness of like how he describes things, how he reacts to things. Uh, but it can also turn sour sometimes. Like some people, you know, they're just like to a point where like they never smile or they're never like, you know, it yeah. can go far. Is a, a, that, I mean, getting to that place in life as a man, you have to, you sacrifice some shit. Yeah. I imagine he was yeah. not a, the happiest man in the world. Uh, he didn't appear to be the happiest man in the world. He did have some smiles here and there. He was a very smart guy, super patriot, real patriot, good commander, good leader. He taught me one thing I'll never forget. Like, you know, we were like bitching one day. Everyone's complaining over us, right? Like, oh, why don't we have this? Why don't we use these missions now? Why don't we go that? Like, everyone's always complaining everywhere, right? Especially in Israel. So we were like, someone complained in our team. And he sat down with us and told us, listen, guys, I'm going to tell you the truth. There is no unit in Israel, nowhere, ever, where people wake up with their dick hard every morning to go to work. It just does not happen. Nowhere, not Sayyid Matkal, not fucking Yamam, nowhere people wake up with a with a hard on because they're here. Because they're going to work. Yeah. Like some units better than others, but everyone's got something to complain about, right? And we're like, okay, yeah. That night we go out, and had like a crazy mission. We, we, we were coming, uh, well, it wasn't the night that we should, it was during the day, just like an hour after that. We went to uh, uh, what's called a refugee camp, it's basically like a Caspa or like a favela. How do you get ready for that? Well, this mission was. Uh, uh, this one this was very particular because this is a Palestinian refugee camp where we we are the Israeli police is responsible for some aspect of security in that camp, and so we were called to uh, capture a guy who's a known like drug dealer, arm smuggler in the camp, who is suspected to have murdered another Palestinian in the camp from a, like a rival gang. Now I'm assuming you know that his gang, the the gang that was the the the, the victim gang, right? probably cooperating with the police or something like that. And they send us to, to, to get this guy. Um, so th- this guy lives in like a place that you've seen the favelas like from Brazil. Like there's, you can't even drive a car inside of it. Yeah, it's, it's just it's, like it's very main, narrow. Everything built up. Buildings and, and there's... What's everything made yeah. out of? Tarp, wood, uh, whatever. It's concrete. Um, and it's concrete. But you know, like the roofs will be like, you know, like uh, aluminum. I don't know what this, what it's made from. Yeah. And the... I mean, I can show you some videos also that I have of that. Of that specific mission came out. It's on YouTube. Sorry. So 
So you, you're there, you're, you're dressing the part. So, no, so we show up and we have an element that's undercover and they're going to come and contain. So they start walking down like, because it's like on the downhill. Yeah. They start walking down the stairs to try to contain the street where this guy is, is on, on a house. You can't really contain the house because it's like, you know, they're all together, but they're containing the street from the back and the front. I was sitting in, a, in an undercover vehicle as part of the SWAT element that was going to be the breaching team. And, and to, to, to capture this guy. And the radio didn't function. What happened was that these guys, uh, well, they were made. Like these people, like imagine, like they had like little kids in the corner. Like, look, anybody who's not from the area, they're like, what are you doing here? Yeah. And these guys are good, man. Like they, there's not like right away they see them and they're like, oh, the police is here. No, like they came, they tried to talk to them because they're like, who are you guys? Yeah. And what happens is that they actually thought that it was the rival gang coming to 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 all they know is know, was strangers revenge. There. yeah there was strangers. all they know the strangers but then a firefight starts with them Shit. and this guy was ready like he had him and his brother were like shooting guns and his father had a bucket full of like molotov cocktails just ready and they're on like a high ground like they have a they have a, a balcony and then um there's like the 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 parking lot and there's like another little roof of like the door. And the, the hallway is very, very narrow, like of the street. So what they start doing is from the door, they start shooting at these guys on the sides. These guys have to take over and hide. And they're trying to call us on the radio, like, hey guys, like, like that's it, like come out of the car, right? We can't hear anything. And then we start hearing shots, like. We're like, well, I guess we need to go, right? So we come out of the of the of the car, we start running down. I just hear like gunshots and gunshots, and and then um, I get to this corner where like they're telling me they're shooting here, and I get to the corner, and this is you know I always talk about this, but I think it's a good message. I have a choice in the corner. Do I go to the right where they're shooting at because my friends are there, or do I stay back and be like hold on? Yeah. And I I went to the corner. I went around. Of course I did. Right. But, you know, I, I think that's part of, like, what people need to think of when they're trying to go into these professions. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's unnatural to run towards gunfire. Yep. It's unnatural. So you're signing up to, to do that, in my opinion. You're signing up to do that. Some people don't, to go against don't your, think they, they have instincts. to. But yeah, to go against that instinct. Yeah. So, uh, and, and I, you know, I went around that corner, and then there's, like, shooting, like, right next to my head in the, in the wall, and my friend's, like, shooting back. Molotov cocktails falling. I I, didn't, I thought they were IEDs, man. Like this is how close it was to me, and they were also like exploding. The glass was like, pow, right, like exploding from the Molotov cocktail. Everything's on fire. I can't get any closer. I can't move back. Can't move forward. Uh, and then you know I'm like looking at the roofs because I think this guy's gonna come from like above because it was a. Uh, uh, that's just the way it was there. Yeah, everything's like this crowded. Yeah, and I was a breacher, so I'm, I'm eventually someone's like, hey, breach this door so we can go up uh, uh, to this house. My breaching kit didn't work. What was your but, breaching kit? Uh, I have like this hydraulic kit. It's, um, yeah, it's like a, a spreader. Yeah, with a spreader. So I'm gone. It's not working. Shit. So my friend behind me, and this is still gunfire around us. I'm like, dude, you have to like fix it. He has to like press a button. I have to like. Basically, you know, like like you're trying to like cheat on like Mortal Kombat. Or yeah, you're, like, uh, uh, you're trying all the mashing all the buttons. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, eventually we get it to work. By that time, there was like a group of guys from like the undercover guys who were like pinned in a, a building in front, and they managed to go upstairs with like a micro Uzi, and they're the ones who like basically ended it. Okay. 
Uh, and so uh, it was, a, it was. I, I think like for the time that we'd been, we'd been going for like a couple months where there's like nothing and everybody was kind of like that. And I'm telling you, man, that the next day I woke up with a heart on, a hundred percent. My my dick was like like. Did you remember the word? Like the arm of a construction worker, <laughs> como brazo de albañil. That's how it was. And I was like, you know what? He was right, man. It's not every day like not that. Not every day but, you got shit happen. But fuck, man, let's do it. What are we doing today? Yeah. Right? Like that's just, and that's the feeling I wanted from a unit like that. That's what I, because eventually, uh, uh, you know, we didn't get into this a lot, but there's a lot of politics about like, hey, Israel, this and that. And eventually there was a point where I, I was not part of the politics anymore. Yeah. Like I felt I, I did not feel committed to it. But then I asked myself, well, why would I do this, right? Why do I want to do this? Yeah, would I do this weird shit if and, I'm not convinced Yeah, about it? and then uh, what I got back from my head is that I've always been a protector somehow in my personality. Like I've, I, if, if, I don't care if you're a Palestinian or, or, or an Israeli if someone wants to to do you harm and it's unjust, then then I want to protect you. Yeah. And you know, hey, that mission was like we came to to arrest someone who killed a Palestinian, right? And there's other place, there are other times and places where I, I've seen it happen where it wasn't you know one sided, right? It I'm wasn't. You weren't that. working for Israeli specific interests. You were working for. I, like, would, I was doing my character, doing what I what I think is is good to do. Um, and yes, eventually I did the. Leave right, and I did. The, there's things I how, don't like, but how long, I found that. How yeah. long did you stay in that unit? In this unit, I was like three and a half years. Yeah, and 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 there's some some cool missions we used to do because there's, for example, the as an arrest team. Uh, there's like these low level missions that we used to do every day, which is not like a terrorism unit. Yeah, it's sorry, like a terrorism uh, uh, assignment. But it would be, for example, like, you know, kids, not kids, but like teenagers or, or young adults throwing Molotov cocktails at a police car in, in a village that police just can't go in there. There's no way of stopping them because it's like favelas, right? You can't like drive and like run after them or anything like that. No hide. So then they'll, they'll hide us in places. And then we, we basically pose as people from the village and then get to them. And then, they, you know, other forces would come. And there's always... A lot of fucking f physical violence in that, yeah, like all the time, all the time. Because they're always resisting arrest, basically, because yeah. they don't want to be arrested. And so also, there's the always fighting. And also, people around them are probably gonna yeah. Probably everyone try to rip tries them. to throw things at you, um, um, you know. So, so it's it's dangerous. And that one, um, in that one, I, I I did do many times like an arresting. Like I would come out of a car or a hiding place, walk, you know, I don't know, three hundred yards or whatever it takes. Pretending I'm I'm just in the town and 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 get someone right, so I have to like fold them down and and, uh, and basically arrest them really quickly or maybe throw them in the back of a car uh, and and drive off, which yeah, is fun. Uh, that shit's fun. Minivan, yeah, minivan. Minivans are great because they have a sliding door. Yeah, it's a sliding door. We put him in the back of the car, offer him a drink and everything. So um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one dude in the back of the car always has to have two dudes next to him, right? That's the whole thing. That's the holding cell. Just grab him down, <laughs> yeah. put him down. Well, yeah. I mean, by by the time he's in the car, he can't really do much anymore. Nah. But we do have someone grabbing him into the car. Uh, so that's one type of, of unit. Another type of mission is like, and grab like, stuff. Like yeah. this stuff like I described before. Uh, then there's also um, like terrorism calls. So for instance... There's someone on his way to do something. It can be a suicide bombing. It can be just a stabbing attack. It can be a shooting attack. And it's finding this person using, you know, technology and stuff. And then 
getting there using like undercover tactics, cars, vehicles, just people doing surveillance, making sure we know where this, where this guy is, and then showing up and snatching him out of there. But oftentimes this is in villages when, when they're in the West Bank, these are places that you cannot be there like with military vehicles or with police vehicles. Yeah. It has to be very quick because the entire village wants to kill you. Like they all want to kill you. Uh, I mean, one time we got pinned down in the morning in this place uh, and we we grabbed this guy. We're coming out. Suddenly I just hear gunfire and I'm like, we can't move. We're in the hallway, like the, the size of this table, the entire breaching team with the guy. And there's like raining like objects from the top of the building we're on. Gunfire hitting the wall. And we're like, where the fuck will we go? Like we can't move. We can't even see who's shooting. We can't even see who's throwing stuff. And you have to shoot your way out of the village, man. You can't, like, hang around. Nobody can come get you. Cars can't even get there. So it's it's a little complicated sometimes. Uh, there's other missions where the some of, like, the surveillance guys that can play roles and work with, like, an, a, a, an agency to kind of, like, gather evidence. And then at the, the day that you need to arrest, uh, you know, the the suspect, you know, then use this, these tactics to get to them. So... I'm very, very happy that I was in that unit. It was pretty much everything I expected. And um, I was lucky enough to be with good people and good commanders and, and do some cool stuff. Yeah, the, the what is, you said three years. What was a, what's a normal time frame for people to be in that unit? I mean, this unit is more is more professional unit. So there are people there who have been 20 years, 15 wow. years, it's like 12 it's a career years. Path yeah. for them. Um, I, so relatively, the amount of time that I was there is nothing. Yeah. But there's also people like you can, because the border police accepts like soldiers conscripts, you could do your like mandatory service there of like two years or something like that and leave. So I did more than that. But I was also coming from like a career. Like I was yeah. overall, I'd been in the armed forces then by... I don't know, like 13 years or 12 years. So I wasn't like, you know, a young guy. Um, and I was an instructor there as well. And one of the things I, I brought to that unit, which I'm sure they probably already forgot about it, but um, I, I started to bring aspects of jujitsu, of law enforcement, like they have here in America, to that unit. And I'm sure 100% there's nobody else in Israeli National Police who, who had done that there. And, you know, I went, I did the, the Gracie course and when I educated myself with other people and I brought that to the unit and it was interesting because they really needed it. They, and they, so to, I developed to, that there. To mm -hmm. rip people out of cars, to grab them, hold them down, to put yeah, them in Yeah, but also cars. just your own survival because a lot of the arrests that they do, like they're hand-to-hand -hand combat with someone in a very high-risk scenario. So, uh, you know, how, how do you like protect yourself? How do you uh, make someone... Um, uh, or how do you put handcuffs on someone uh, faster than what the general population of police yeah. right all over the world do, which could take many, many minutes and 10 people trying yeah, to put if, handcuffs yeah. on if somebody, someone. If somebody doesn't want to be in handcuffs, well, yeah, it's, it's very resisting. hard, right? Yeah. But um, so if you have good techniques for that, you can minimize the time, you can minimize the amount of people you need, and you need people to be providing security in this case. Like It's not so, like so you, people you, stay away from it. Like They'll try to grip, grab the guy from you. They'll try to kill you while you're doing this shit. You, so uh, you, left, you basically infused your experience into that unit before. I, I had some of it. I think I could have done much more, but at least a little bit of it I did put into it. I think some of those guys were grateful for it. Uh, uh, I think a lot of them were grateful for it. And I could have done more, but, uh, you know, that's just, you're it's, always going to feel like you can do more. Yeah. It was your time. 
you leave. And uh, so at that time, I, I had been. Um, there was a lot of things that I didn't like so much about living in Israel anymore. Okay, it's complicated, but there was a lot of things. I'd been coming to the U.S. for many years, also seeing my friends working here, teaching, doing this, doing that. You know, like I have a friend who, the, the, uh, he's work. Like every time I would see him during the weeks, like I'm working, and he was at home, like you know, working. posting on Facebook about his trainings or whatever. Like that's your work, okay? And then the weekend he teaches, and you know, it makes money. Okay. Not bad, man. Yeah. Right? Like, good life, everything. So um, I got a call from a friend of mine uh, that I, I met, actually. I met him online, but then we had friends in common. He came to Israel, met up, and um, he has a company here in uh, Austin, Texas. And so he gave me a call. He's like, hey, dude, like, I'm merging with a bigger company, and I can bring you if you want. If you want to be an instructor here, you want to work with me, let's make it happen. At the same time, I got offered also to be the main like um, uh, combatives instructor for one of the Yamas units. And it's something that I would have loved to do. So it was like, shit, what do I do now, right? And then COVID came at that time as well. Yeah. And COVID in Israel was fucking horrible. Um, and I was like very disappointed about a lot of things. And I wanted a better lifestyle, a better life quality. And I've always been a believer in the American dream. And, uh, you know, as much as it can sound funny. And I was like, well, you know, this is what I need to do, man. Like, this is the right timing. It's, so yeah. I took it. Yeah. And uh, so you, like, the, the whole aspect of the American dream, you're an immigrant, like I am. Uh, and also somebody that came out of Mexico and went to fight a war somewhere. Yeah. Um, what is that American dream that you describe? For, like, if people don't understand what we It's need. in stages. It's Stage number one, pickup truck, garage gym. I did that. Check. Check. Okay. <laughs> um, and guns. But um, that's that's interesting. Huh? Like a lot of immigrants to the U.S. that they mention, you know, the ability to have material wealth with you, material. Yeah. So like, hey, a truck. Yeah. Uh, and guns. Well, I think guns, not just because I like guns, obviously I do, but it's kind of like, I like the fact that the Constitution respects me as a human and thinks that I should have the right to defend myself. Yes. yes. I hate that other countries don't do that. Mexico, I absolutely hate that, that because it's, 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 a, it's just ridiculous. It's, uh, for me, and there's something I always said, the ability to defend yourself and have the means and ability to maintain that capability. So yeah. a gun and the ability to train with that gun. Yeah should be an internationally human-protected uh, right. I think it is a human right. That's my, my opinion. It, We're going to talk about defining human rights. Well, this is the one I want to define. I, I think if, 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 if whatever that means, it could be a gun, it could be a sword, it could be a knife, yeah. it could be a machete, it could be whatever, but whatever the threat in that environment is, if the government isn't doing anything about yeah. it, if there's no guarantees. I mean, think about it. The places like Canada, like they put in the law that you have a duty to retreat. Yeah. All right? That, Which that's, is... So, so I'm not even able to, the government is instructing me that I need to retreat from a situation that is potentially dangerous to my family or to myself. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. It just makes no sense to and me. And people that have usually come from conflict zones and know what that lack of a right is, yeah. are usually the ones coming to the U.S. and telling these fuckers, yeah. <laughs> you mean, should be fighting for this. I wish that I'd had that red right in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, people don't appreciate it. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, my mom, you know, how many times she's been robbed at gunpoint? My my grandparents they were hijacked one time, 
I mean, they're lucky they just had like 3,000 pesos in their bank account because they, they're, they're like broke them back home. They're like, all right, guys, bye. But how do you respond to that stuff? People, I know that, you know, they break into your house, all the things that can happen in a house. I don't even want to bring it up. Now, where, where does being Mexican fall in line with your whole trip that you just basically took us on? Your, your Mexicanism, you know, do yeah. you consider yourself a Mexican pride? I, so yeah, yeah. for me, mm-hmm. my process has been this. It was a long time to figure out that the parts of Mexico that I don't like mm-hmm. are the government and mm-hmm. it's bullshit and the politics. Yeah. Uh, but the people itself, the culture around it, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful things around it. Yeah. But there's also, you know, systemic corruption and there's yeah. other things of it that I might not like that much. But I came to peace with the fact that I'm from here. Yeah. That. The reason why I'm who I am and I went through all the shit that I that I, that I went through is probably because I'm from yeah. Mexico and my parents showed me <laughs> some shit about being Mexican and how to figure things out when nobody yeah. else was there to kind of figure them out for me. <laughs> well, for you, what, what is it? Where, where is that? Well, lie? I think it was uh, an interesting journey because I, I grew up in Mexico. Like I went all the way to high school. I was just in Mexico. Mexico City, sure, like, you know, I had all the influences from here and there, but that's that's where I was. That's what I knew. Uh, I did live one year in the U.S. when I was like 12 years old, almost a year in, in Colorado. But, you know, I, I was a, I'm a Mexican, right? So then I went to Israel, and then I lived half of my life in Israel. Yeah. So actually, I even forgot how to speak Spanish well over there. Yeah. Uh, like, I, was, I didn't have anybody to talk to. That's another aspect of it that people don't understand. Yeah. When you immerse yourself in another culture, yeah. like, people look at my, hear my English, you're like, how did you do that? So I became Israeli there. And um, and I lost a lot of connection to Mexico there. Like, I even, like, started to, like, forget a lot about Mexico. Yeah. By the way, the thing I missed the most about Mexico was the food always. We're going to go get some tacos in a bit. Avi's going to be – he discovered some new tacos here. <laughs> right, Avi? <laughs> uh, but uh, – um, And you, so when I came back, now that I'm in Texas, I feel like I've reconnected a lot to Mexico. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for that. Because, you know, now there's people that speak the language, right? Now I see, like, parts of the culture that I can recognize. And I'm even Mexican enough to be like, uh, well, you know, that's Mexico's not, that, not really like that. But <laughs> but I, I feel like the connection again, right? So it's, so then... It's funny I, it's, it's funny how far we have to get from Mexico to <laughs> to find that connection yeah. sometimes. Uh, so so I've, I've reconnected a lot with my heritage, I guess, or whatever you could describe it. But at the end of the day, I am, I've all, I'm always going to be a lone wolf. I'm always going to be a person who... I mean, I'm a little bit of this and a little bit of that, man. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I, I'm not denying it. Yeah. I, I'm going to walk in Mexico City. Someone's going to think that I'm a American. I'm going to walk in Israel. Someone's going to say that I'm a Mexican. Like, it's it's, a, think, it's I, just, I, it is what it is. I think uh, there's a beautiful quote that I read somewhere in a bathroom wall. <laughs> uh, I love arriving, but I was born to leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I never heard that one before. Um, <laughs> I've been I've been running around myself for a bit. I'm about to turn 41 in mm. the coming month. Okay, and uh, I'm kind of ready to slow the fucking down. <laughs> well, just a little bit, you know. Yeah, just a little bit. Don't let yourself do it, man. Just put, you know, every now like I think I need, I need my six months, I guess, to to, <laughs> to figure out what the next uh, what the next fight is going to be about. Uh, you do a lot of work right now in the um, training industry and. Yeah. Uh, and and where can you can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I I, I came to the U.S. with uh, Tactical Fitness Austin. That's where I work. It's based out of Austin. 
And we do training, you know, all over the country, really, but mostly in Texas. The training is firearms, it's uh, combatives. Um, and, um, you know, that's like one aspect of it. Um, I brought a course to that company also that I kind of like the, because, you know, I like training people. Uh, I've never done a job for the money, okay? I have to, to be honest, it might sound not honest to some people, but it's it's the damn truth. Like, I, I've, I've given up uh, jobs that offer me a lot of money to do something I want. Yeah. So when I train people, I want to, first of all, uh, if I can bring their security up, right, if they can really protect themselves, their family, that's great. And even if I can just make someone, hey, have success in, in their journey of what they want to achieve, uh, that gives me satisfaction as an instructor, as a teacher. So I brought a course that's called the Family Protector, and uh, I'm trying to bring the experience as a dignitary protection agent, as a, as a law enforcement officer in this unit, as a soldier, as all of this stuff, uh, and trying to put together with how do you protect your family. So it's it's combative uh, in terms of like defensive pistol, right? Concealed carry. Uh, it's third party protection techniques. How to move someone out of the way to engage a threat. How to move away from from your family to engage that threat. Sometimes, which sometimes is, you might is, need that. Which too. is something a lot of people don't put yeah. into the equation with right. their training. I mean, they become yeah. the biggest ninja on the planet, but their uh -huh. family isn't included yeah. in the equation. Right. Like, and you know, this is a country where you could even have your wife as part of that equation. Like she can be armed as well and trained. Which is a privilege. Yeah, it's an. But even if she's not, they have to be part of the equation, right? In your decision making, your protocols, the way that you're going to act after the fact or before the way, doing advance work for yourself, right? As a family member, I'm doing advance work for myself somehow, even in small elements, right? And when I get to a gas station, when I get to a restaurant, when I'm walking around somewhere, I have to do some sort of advance work for myself, uh, or even just my my my, my security awareness. So that I'm, you know, uh, ready or or readier, right? Like yeah. a little more ready from when something happens. So this course is about that. I brought that on, and and uh, we've been teaching that. It's been very successful in our area. Like our course, that course is full, and then you know it's it's growing, and people seem to have a very positive response to it because they feel they're getting something. Yeah, that's I think something special I bring to that world. On the other hand, as part of my work there, I I also um, work for Alert the law enforcement training center out of a Texas State University. And I'd, I'd heard about Alert before from a friend. He's like, hey, it's a great school, man. You should look into that. And then I ran into these guys and, and somehow, you know, they gave me that, that respect of like, hey, come do the course and let's see if, uh, let's you know, you're fit for this. Yeah. And uh, I've been working for them, you know, not a lot, but I've been, uh, I'm getting into it. Uh, it's a fantastic program. It's a great organization. I also get to, to like, I'm starting to, you know, to rub shoulders more with law enforcement here, which is uh, kind of like what I wanted as well. Right? Yeah. That's coming from where I come, I, I need to, like, kind of, like, understand the people here. And um, what, what is your experience with law enforcement? Like, what, how, like, coming from where you came from and yeah. uh, seeing law enforcement in the U.S. and some of the issues they're facing <laughs> right now. Like, yeah, what, yeah. what are your opinions on... And you know what's funny is that the, the, everything... Uh, some people don't realize this, but everything that happens in the U.S. just... It's kind of like a wave. And it gets yeah. to the rest of the world. Yeah. Like when, when the 2020 stuff was happening here, I was uh, arresting someone one day in Israel and I heard them say, hey, he can't breathe. <laughs> he can't breathe. Yeah. They're, they're like killing him. He can't breathe. So jiu-jitsu was canceled for cops in, in the U.S. <laughs> basically. Well, uh, 
Well, yeah, the chokeholds. The, right? the, the, yeah. Uh, and, well, in well, some states, you can't even put your your knee or anything like on on the back. Jujitsu, like jujitsu, in a lot of places mm-hmm. is being vilified now. In some right. places, specifically for for for. Long but time. then the problem is that they, uh, if you vilify jujitsu or like the hand to hand component, you ha- you still need to arrest someone. So that means you're transporting everything to technology, right? So you're saying, hey, my taser is going to do the job. Yeah. Or like they come up with like all these sorts of other other technologies, which is great. Also, I think you need to know those things. You need to use those things. But at the end of the day, you know, some of the things that we've seen on TV didn't have to happen. Like the fact that this guy sat on 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 this man for 15 minutes and killed him. Uh, jiu-jitsu doesn't teach you that either. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's actually more training the solution, not less training. Yeah. Well, so well, you know, the law enforcement everywhere needs higher quality people. And more training. Well, it, well, it, seem, it seems that the U.S.'s response, when I say U.S., I mean yeah. the people, has been lower standards for cops. Yeah. Nobody wants to be a cop anymore. Right. You go to the academies and they're yeah. like almost empty. Yeah. Uh, jiu-jitsu is being vilified. When I say jiu-jitsu is being vilified, I mean protesters will show up and say that this is murderous stuff mm. that you're showing these cops. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. no. I've even the- heard that the Israelis have taught them to, to do this and that's what's wrong. And the funny thing is that I, I can tell you with confidence, Israelis did not teach anything like that because the Israeli police doesn't even know that jiu-jitsu exists. Like there's no, it's, they didn't come from there. It, uh, it, it's, it's funny, like when we, like when I talk to people around Krav Maga, like a mm-hmm. lot of people understand or, or have com- notions of what it is. Yeah. But like hearing you talk about what it is, you know, yeah. and uh People get sold this idea that it is an all-encompassing modern self-defense system that comes from the IDF. Well, that, that and that's where it originated, right? But it was an idea. It broke into different uh, angles, and these are organizations that basically I can open up a Krav Maga. I can call Krav Maga. Who's going to tell me it's not Krav Maga? I'm not going to tell you shit. Like no one's going to tell me it's not Krav Maga, right? Because everybody does it differently. Yeah. But Krama got the source, yeah. which is where, where I did it, which is the IDF. I did also my instructor's course in the IDF. I did my instructor's course in the security agency of, uh, of Israel. That's the core of Krama Maga. And what it is, is there's, there are techniques to disarm weapons, right? There are techniques to, to defend against knives, correct? Combatives. And then there's wrestling, there's boxing, there's, there's all stuff you're going to need to, to do the Specialized job. Specialized right? things yeah. around. And it takes things from that, right? It'll take things from boxing. It'll take things from karate. Like a lot of these people that developed a lot of these techniques, Across. they came from karate, from Kyokushin or things like that. Uh, for example, the sparring that we did in, in most of these schools is sparring to the body, not to the head. One reason for it is because they also don't want, like, for example, a dignitary protection agent with a blue eye, right? Yeah, it's, it's not, doesn't it's look not, good on camera. Yeah. But uh, it's also because they come from that world of karate where, like, there's going to be a lot of kicks, but it's punching to the body. Uh, whether I agree with that or not, we introduced boxing to, to the school a little bit. So we'll had, like, we had boxing classes, but they had to be, um, uh, we had to be extra careful because you can't have those injuries. What do you feel like when you see it out here? Like when you see these Krav Maga gyms uh, in, in, in the it's, U.S. and yeah. they're, they're doing... Uh, I don't like the majority of them. Uh, there are what, some people what, doing good jobs. What's your yeah. main critique when you see a civilian Krav Maga in the United States and you see like a, a, a mom yeah, showing show well, how to get yeah. an AR-15 out of somebody's uh-huh. hand? Well, the thing is that, um, and here, when, when someone asks me, hey, what should I do? I, I have one day a week. Where do I go? I tell them, go to an MMA gym. Because, no, no. What? what? Yeah, I'm going to explain to you why. You're not going to tell them to go to a Krav Maga? <laughs> it's so delicious. So the reason I don't tell them Krav Maga is because Krav Maga... 
um, has been watered down, obviously. But the problem is, who are the people who are training with you? You just described it, right? Yeah. So we have like this, this, this mom, we have the soccer mom, we have the guy who works in IT. And the problem that I found, because I, I, I was teaching Krav Maga also in Israel for civilians for a while. And what I realized is that the people, I was in a gym where there was Muay Thai, there was Jiu Jitsu, MMA, and Krav Maga. And I got the students that were the weakest out of everybody. Why is that, right? The reason is that because they, they see it as a shortcut. Okay. That's, 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 that's boxing, really kickboxing, jujitsu. It's hard, it's man. It fucking set. hurts. It's a process. And then I'm telling you, if you just do Krav Maga, you're going to learn to defend against everything. And it's not going to hurt you that much because it's quicker, right? So then it's a shortcut. And that became the premise. That became the sales point. And that's unfortunate because it, yeah. it really ruined it in a way. I, I understand. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty good. So what's next for you? You say you're never, uh, you're never still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what, what do you think is next? Uh, you, you, you basically come, you hit the ground running when it comes to training field here in the United States. You're yeah, I mean, to... I've been I've been fortunate enough, man. I mean, I've been training, also learning a lot from yeah. a lot of people, uh, and um, I mean, really, what we're on to now is expanding it to 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 more classes. But um, I like the program that I'm doing a lot, and I think uh, you know I want to expand it to other areas in the country. Um, develop the curriculum. I already developed it a couple times, and um, for now, that's the way I see it, man. I don't know what's coming in the future. <laughs> I think for me, it's something I always recommend to people, mm -hmm. specifically Americans, when they come to train with me, for example. Yeah. I say, hey, if you're not training with people that are coming from different battlefields, you know, you're not really looking at that uh, problem oh, yeah. oh, or, yeah. or the expansion of it. And I, I think you, you come with a very unique uh, background and a very specific uh, battlefield that you were a part of. And some of those lessons, man, there's no other way of getting them. Yeah. Well, that I don't know how you're doing with time, but uh, the um, one other thing that we do right now that I think is particular is we have um, like I think it's all about community too. Yeah. Like nowadays you have to to think that you need to meet like-minded people, right, yeah. and train with them. So one of the things that uh, we brought in Austin is that we created what's called a combat club. We call it, and it's basically like going to a martial arts class, but it's firearms, it's everything, and it's weekly, right? Yeah. So these people they become friends, all of them. And they're training together. They're learning something new every month. And so that means that they're basically super advanced because it's not like, you know, a lot of people go, they do a course two days, they do this, next no. year they do it again. Yeah, these people, they're training every, every week. Weekend. They're keeping those skills. Uh, and I, th I found that format to be amazing, man. Yeah. The people who do it, they fucking love it. And it's needed. We all became friends too. Yeah. Like it's, and, uh, and it's know. needed. Like it's men. Like it, it's men and women. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like it, like it's like it's a community, like this shit. Yeah, we're like we get we have get-togethers, you know. We're like uh, talking to each other, like when they're not training. That's the real test. So yeah, like, do people meet when they're not like on training? Uh, and they're all fucking awesome guys and girls. Like uh, they're really stand-up people, and that you can only have that when you have a class like that. That requires that that sense of commitment. But um, yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I think it's a good format, and I like it. And I'm grateful. Every time I teach that class, I'm, I'm super stoked, man, for all the classes I teach like that. Yeah. Family. Yeah. You know, what does that look like? Kid? Yeah, I have uh, an eight-month-old now. He's almost nine months now. Just one? Just one for now. What does that feel like? 
Does it feel like you ripped your heart off your chest and now it's walking around somewhere? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, vulnerability. It's a very good one. Yeah, vulnerability. I mean, I feel super grateful. First of all, that's. It, it, I think I'm I'm mature enough to be grateful for. The amount of shit you had to go through and the amount of stuff that happened around you that yeah. was going to keep you from that, and yeah. then you find yourself there to I the mean, last moment. By the way, yeah. So that 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 kid's uh that kid is basically. Uh, you know, the, the I always think about that with my kid. You know, the amount of times that I was really close to not <laughs> being there, and all of a sudden you find yourself um, complaining about ice cream in a in a shop somewhere with the yeah. eight year old, and how valuable that is when you think about what it took for you to get there. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, man, I think also as a as a direction in life of value, right? Like, for example, a lot of us um, uh, do things that we do because we want to leave a mark. Yeah. But, you know, how deep is my mark? How deep is your mark? How deep is everybody's mark? Like, unless, you know, you're a, I don't know, whatever a name. Um, and when you have a child, that is a mark. With your kid, the yeah. boy. He's a masculine boy. Is he like, he's, I mean, just imagine he was born with a beard for some reason. Yeah, great. Uh, you know, you, you say your dad wasn't, you know, he's yeah. just gone. Yeah, well, that's that's the challenge now. But but, yeah. you, but for you, like, what do you, what, what, what does that do for you as far as your, 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 your being a dad now? I was thinking about it because, you know, I've, I guess my, my journey is going to continue, you know, where I have to find how to do it. Because I don't really have a good example for it. Yeah. So I have to figure out how I'm going to do it and how I'm going to to be that father figure, you know. So in a way, it's uh, it might be boring for some people, but it's I guess it's the next challenge for me. Oh, you know? it yeah. is the biggest one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had parents for most of my life and then they had to go away because something, something happened and I don't blame them, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, it dawned on me, specifically with my mom, uh, my mom grew up without grew up without a dad, mm. and I couldn't figure out what she was trying to do to me as far as what she was forming me to be. And uh, when I get to do stuff with my kid, and it's very specific. Like I, I, uh, my mom showed me how to plant roses, mm. so I'm showing my mom, I'm showing my kid how to do yeah. that. My mom made me into the dad that she wishes she mm. had. That's and, awesome. Yeah. I think I, my mom tried to do that too. Yeah. And I think like your kid, I mean, that's, that's a drive, man. You're going to give that kid. Well, you're talking about the roses. I have a couple of things. Like for example, uh, my grandfather and no, my uncle actually, he told me how to drive with the knee. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah. 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 hundred percent going to teach him that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Knee driving. Uh, yeah. The, the driving the thing, you know, other stuff and, um, but yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. I think uh, it's challenging, but it's it's just a, being grateful, man. Like it's just, it's it's the biggest challenge, and legit, it's the only job you will be remembered for. Exactly. Um, yeah. Where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? Uh, well, you people can follow me on Instagram on the I'm at disciplined papo. Disciplined papo. Yeah. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn also, Bernardo CT. Uh, you can find on our website tacticalfitnessaustin.com and that's where you know we have all the courses and classes and you know stuff and you can reach out and follow Tactical Fitness Austin as well 
Uh, that's pretty much it. But I'm in, I'm in south of Austin, Texas. You know, if, if anybody's around there and wants to find the good places to eat, you know. And get into a weird combatives club with a bunch of weirdos <laughs> that are trading how to be yeah. murderous. Uh, It'll be enjoyable, though. I mean, I already had if, some of those visitors and then they loved it. Yeah. If you're in Austin, you know, you know where to go. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bernardo, thank you hey. so much for this conversation. This was Thanks, amazing. Uh, and for anybody out there, you know, being young and uh, aimless, who think that they can't do shit, you know, that you're a pretty good example of how far you can go if you if you just basically look forward instead of looking back for a bit. Right. So yeah. thank you. Uh, sure. Let's go get some fucking fire tacos. Let's do it. Vámonos, Avi. Vámonos. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for everybody to watch, and thanks for Avi and everybody. Dude, Pleasure. thank you. Privilege. Oh.